Hey, Chad Brown here. You may remember me as a linebacker in the NFL or as a reptile breeder and the owner of Pro Exotics. I've been herping since I was a boy, and I've dedicated my life to advancing the industry and educating the community about the importance of reptiles. I also love to encourage the joy of breeding and keeping reptiles as a hobbyist, which is why my partner Robin and Markland and I create the Reptile Report. The Reptile Report is our online news aggregation site bringing you the most up-to-date discussions from the reptile world. Visit thereptilereport.com every day to stay on top of the latest reptile news and information. We encourage you to visit the site and submit your exciting reptile news, photos, and links so we can feature outstanding breeders and hobbyists just like you. The Reptile Report offers powerful branding and marketing exposure for your business, and the best part is... It's free. If you're a buyer or a breeder, you got to check out the Reptile Report Marketplace. The Marketplace is the reptile world's most complete buying and selling destination full of features to help put you in touch with the perfect deal. Find exactly what you're looking for with our advanced search system. Search by sex, weight, morph, or other keywords and use our buy it now option to buy that animal right now. Go to marketplace.thereptilereport.com and register your account for free. Be sure to link your Marketplace account to your Ship Your Reptiles account to earn free tokens with each shipping label you book. Use the marketplace to sell your animals and supplies and maximize your exposure with a platinum ad. It also gets fed to the Reptile Report and our powerful Marketplace Facebook page. Buying or selling? Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates. ShipYourReptiles.com can also supply you with the materials needed to safely ship your animals successfully. Use ShipYourReptiles.com to take advantage of our discounted priority overnight shipping rates, the materials needed to ship your reptiles successfully, live customer support, and our live, on-time arrival insurance program. We got you covered. Visit thereptilereport.com to learn or share about the animals. Click on the link to the marketplace, find that perfect pet or breeder, then visit shipreptiles.com to ship that animal anywhere in the United States. We are your one-stop shop for everything reptile-related. Welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio, and tonight we have the man is back, Mr. Nick Mutton. He's coming back the, the to talk the with us. The man that wrote the book, 
<laughs> we wanted to have him on the carpet round table, but he wrote the book. We can't argue with the guy. You know what I mean? What are, what, what are you going to say? You're wrong, Nick. Just, oh, uh, you're, you're, and then it's over. <laughs> then, then you are won't. incorrect, sir. You're yeah, incorrect. I mean, you know, exactly. When, when the man is like, oh, here no, are my animals fucking, for sale, by the way. Nah, uh, I mean, like, the female that bred this animal is page 344 in the complete card python. You're like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> I, I quit. Uh, so. <laughs> uh, Nick has been on the show multiple times, and uh, he yeah. is a wealth when it comes to all pythons, not just carpet pythons. I mean, uh, if there's something that's, uh, I guess it's boas too, because uh, he does keep boas as well. Yeah. But um, tonight we're going to be talking about, I guess, sort of like uh, maybe a little bit of a history about. Um, carpet pythons and some of the different bloodlines and and even maybe touch on the fact of what is a bloodline i mean some people are out there saying this line that line somebody's line is it really a line <laughs> i created my own bloodline wait a minute yeah but you bought two jason balen animals and bred them together you didn't create yeah. a new line those are his still yeah. so it yeah it, it it's difficult sometimes for uh people to grasp where to go with this and I know you and I have tried to explain it, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, we, we, we may have actually, like, um, hurt more than we help sometimes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that may be one like of those when, instances. Like when we were trying to explain uh, chimeras. <laughs> yeah, and, like, Zach's screaming at us, and I'm pretty sure Ben committed suicide. It's like, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, sometimes we really just need to shut the hell up. So, yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I never claim to be the expert, Owen. I'm just no, a no, no, no. We are, are of knowledge. I'm a facilitator <laughs> of knowledge. That's what I am. <laughs> we we bring the experts to you. Correct. With us, so that you can listen yes. to them. Don't listen to us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we're not going to uh, banter too long. We're going to get Nick right on here right away because yep. uh, I know he has to. Uh, he has a uh, limited time, and we'll catch up on some uh happenings and uh we have today was happy to later yeah like happy snake delivery day so shut up <laughs> <laughs> you, you know you just, you're like i'm getting a box from nick i'm like you bastard <laughs> like, you know, the, the next day is inundated with stuff i'm like i don't care that's not that's not that pretty i don't really i don't really want that can i have yeah. it it's like you know it's lies like that, so. lies owen <laughs> uh <laughs> Hey Nick, welcome to welcome back to the show. How hey. you doing? <laughs> oh, just fabulous, just fabulous. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so so we want to talk about uh, some uh, bloodlines and lines and all these different things with carpets and maybe when things came into the into the U.S. and whatnot. Maybe right. you could start by explaining to us what makes a bloodline and what is a, a line? What's the difference? Well, I mean, this is a, kind of one of those, I suppose you could, people could debate what constitutes a bloodline. But to me, anyway, in the strictest definition of the term would be a, a separate, unique genetic lineage. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where a lot of people, I think, get a little confused and constantly use the term incorrectly. Uh, I mean, I, I see it inappropriately applied to my own animals all the time. I cannot count how many times I've seen a Nick Mutton bloodline, this or that. And it's like, well, there really isn't a Nick Mutton bloodline of anything, really. I mean, it's 
because I mean everything I got came from somewhere else, and you know, and, right. and so on and so forth, and everything. To me, separate bloodlines are separate. I mean, you can have your own breeders' line, I suppose, if you selectively bred for a while and you've kind of taken things in its own direction or whatever. That's certainly possible, but it's not really a separate bloodline. So I'm constantly amused when I see you know, some of these animals have very small gene pools in our captive in the U.S. hobby and the, you know and everything, and I constantly see you know, oh, I've got unrelated this and unrelated that, and it's totally not unrelated. <laughs> it's like, there's a misconception that if you get a you get a you know you get a jungle carpet from Owen and you get a jungle carpet from me, that somehow that makes them unrelated. It's like, well, they might not be clutchmates, but they usually you know that's a whole different uh, whole different thing from being totally unrelated and everything. That's where people get a little get a little twist around it sometimes. It seems. Okay. So, I mean, separate separate founder stock, and that's a much uh, much steeper burden than just getting you know a snake from somebody else and stuff. So, I mean, you look at like the Brettles pythons in the United States. Up until mm-hmm. you know rather recently, and there's a few more bloodlines available now that I've kind of imported some stuff from Europe and some other bloodlines that were available there. But up until that point, I mean, there you pretty much it was almost all the same stuff, wasn't it? But you see all the time yeah. you see, oh, I got. You know, this, they have different unrelated bloodlines because they got it from different breeders. I mean, it's really all roads lead back to one, to one source, really. In that case, so, so it's right. getting the, getting your brain around that. I guess is kind of important for what follows. Because like I've also also might need to get you guys straight on chimerism and how that all works too. Apparently from the from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're not good. <laughs> Just, so you know, I've, a... I've, I've I've listened to you say it a thousand times, Nick, and I tried to repeat it, and I, I just I totally fumbled. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not just yeah. one thing. I mean, you have a bunch of well, not a bunch, but you have several different mechanisms by which you can end up with that that all are very different in how it happens and everything. And it's to be, yeah, I guess that can be kind of a hard to. I find that stuff really interesting. Personally, I find it very just really fascinating. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me interested in the hobby and everything, the kind of dirty aspect of it. But it does make some people's brains kind of explode a little bit when you get into that kind of stuff. But it's, uh, but it's really, you know, it's fascinating, though. I mean, because it's not just knowledge of how genetics works and, you know, embryogenesis and all of these kinds of things. It's not just applicable just to pythons. That's applicable to everything. And this same phenomenon happens in humans. It happens in everything. So it's really... It's under really at its root. It's understanding the basics of you know reproduction and life and just biology at this really basic level. And talking about it in terms of snakes, it's applicable to everything and stuff. Right. Yeah, you know, pretty interesting stuff. And with the chimerism, it's really quite amazing to me just how screwed up things can go and still end <laughs> up with a viable living animal. But so many things can go so terribly wrong, and you still end up with something that's alive at the end of the day. <laughs> I asked a couple of them this year, or 2014, and this year. One of which I, I posted pictures. One I've never posted pictures of. I don't know why, because I never get around to doing that kind of stuff. But I actually had two in 2014 myself. So That was the uh, zebra um, crazy-looking thing you hatched out, Yeah, right? it's, it's like half, that one's like half super zebra, and I think half zebra. So it could be half normal jungle, so. Looking at it, I'm pretty sure it's zebra and super zebra, not super zebra and normal. It really doesn't matter. It's just a kind of a curiosity to me anyway. I'll just keep it, you know. I will breed it if it's capable of breeding. That should be made to be seen. I'll, because I'm very curious to see what it reproduces as, just a, a sort of weird academic curiosity. But, uh, mm-hmm. 
it's uh, it's going along nicely. It's probably the best eater out of the whole clutch. So I also had another one that's a, a male. Yeah. This year we saw. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. This year we saw a lot of that uh, happening in Australia with albinos, which kind of. Yeah. It's not. Uh, or is that? These are. It's. It's. And people always want to make these weird. Well, not weird. I mean, maybe it seems logical, but it's not really. It's, they want to make the assumption that oh, it's somehow more common there than it is here. It's more common in albinos. You know what it is? It's that on a white and yellow snake, if you get a black fleck, it's really freaking obvious. It's really you can see it a mile away. Whereas if you have a brown and black snake, well, if you have like, say you had a granite IJ and you had an extra couple of black scales on it that weren't supposed to be there, you wouldn't even notice. Where are you gonna? You never gonna know. <laughs> you never notice it. But you know, a yeah. few white, a few white scales, a few amelanistic scales on your head albino. Are pretty obvious. A few white scales where they shouldn't be, or a few black scales on the snake that isn't albino are very, very obvious. So it's just with the case of albinism, in either set, you know, whether you're, you know, you have like kind of a paradox hatch or a paradox homozygous or whatever, however you want to phrase it, it's just really obvious in those cases. Whereas other things, it's a little more, maybe more or more difficult. I've had six or seven paradoxes over the years in lots of different species and stuff. It was just never, this was the first time I actually got a couple that were really interesting. Both sides are pretty minor, right. you know, a little patch of this or that that doesn't match. Uh, but how those little patches get there is a whole other, whole other story. The, the rarest and what seem to be the rarest and the most extreme cases are what you could call tetragametic chimerism, which is literally the exact opposite of identical twinning. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. identical twinning, you have one embryo that splits into two, and uh, one zygote ultimately becomes two animals, and this is the opposite of that, where you have two totally separate uh, zygotes that become one embryo that ultimately fuses into a single embryo with two different genotypes. And that's where you get the real Frankenstein-looking stuff with a half one thing, half another head split right down the middle, really weird stuff. The other, there are other mechanisms where you end up with what's more common are paradoxes where you have kind of a, um, See? Uh, you know, an animal that's 95% one thing and this is a patch that doesn't match the rest of the thing and stuff. And that can come about in a couple of different ways. Uh, but, uh, Sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent already. Might be. Broadly, chimerism is when I you think have keep all these paradox down. animals. All paradox animals basically have two different genotypes. So they have at least uh -huh. some portion of their body that is not of the same genotype as the, the predominant portion of it. And if you have two, if you have an animal with two different genotypes, you're either a chimera or you are a uh, oh no, what's the other? Uh, are a mosaic, genetically speaking. A mosaic is when you uh, chimera is when you have Two different an analog, two different genotypes that arrived from two different places, i.e., you know, uh, two different animals fused into one animal, or a little population of cells from uh, a neighboring embryo managed to migrate over and worked its way into something else. Uh, that phenomenon happens a lot. It happens a lot in marmoset monkeys, it turns out. You have a lot of, uh, you know, where one embryo, if you have twins, can kind of uh, some cells from one will migrate over and end up in the other one. You'll have, uh, you know. They found in a lot of species now where you'll have uh, cells from the mother will end up in migrating into the embryo and stuff, and so you'll have like a little bit of your mother's DNA and stuff. Really? So like it'll actually just pull DNA straight from the mom to well, the pull it. Just like some of like those cells can kind of migrate and stuff during the whole process, and you'll end up with this, uh, this population of cells that doesn't that really shouldn't be there. Weird. Uh, 
Hey, on everything, guys. Uh, Eric just told me I was cutting out and everything. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah you kind of are, and I don't know what he's doing. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can hear yeah, you. I have, have my little earpiece in my phone. It's a little easier for me, but uh, uh, see if that's any better. But yeah, that that can happen. There's just all kinds of weird, uh, weird things. You can have uh, genes that are a localized area. Uh, mm. The animal can have like the. Uh, uh, we should be really good at explaining this stuff. And now you got you got you got me talking about it, and I'm butchering my own words, tripping over my own words now. But um, <laughs> the you can have null alleles and stuff. Where uh, <laughs> another common thing that is. You know, likely the cause of a lot of these things is what's called a null allele. And that null allele can happen throughout an entire animal or uh, selectively in little random patches and stuff. And that is where, since we all know, or should all know, uh, that you get two copies of every gene in your body, one from your mother, one from your father. That's the yeah. whole point of sexual reproduction. Mm. Uh, that, right. that is not always <laughs> entirely true. That you That is what is ideal and that's what's supposed to happen, but sometimes screw-ups happen. And you can end up with one, zero, three, you can end up with the wrong number uh, and stuff mm. of alleles at a given locus. It's supposed to be two. It almost always is, but occasionally something will happen, uh, and one copy of that gene from one parent will fail to come across. Uh, and then you end up with a, what's called a null allele. So in, in that, those cases, the affected areas will display the homozygous expression of the single copy that they do have. So if you have you know, a head albino, there's a head albino, but there's a few little patches where the normal copy of that gene at the albino locus does not come across. Mm -hmm. There's just nothing. You just have an albino gene in that area, and there is no other gene at all, just a null, a void, essentially. Then those areas will visually manifest albinism because there isn't anything there to oppose them. Uh, what makes an albino or any of these things, the homozygous expression, we use albinism because it's a very easy one, but... What makes an albino an albino is not having two copies of the albino gene. It's actually that it no longer has any normally functioning copies of that gene, and it cannot produce any melanin. I mean, it's, so it's not it's not that having two copies of this magically makes you an albino. It's really the, the absence of any normally functioning copy that makes you an albino. You have two broken genes, whereas a head albino, you've got you know you've got one functional copy, one not. The one functional copy can pull. Can still you can still produce it with one copy, uh, and you can't without. So uh, that's another uh, another way you end up with weird paradoxes and everything uh, and stuff. That are that would be more of a mo genetic mosaic sort of model. So either the cells that are they don't match had to come from, or the, those genes had to come from somewhere else, and you have a chimera, or they are broken from within basically, and you end up with a mosaic. But either way, they hatch out all the time. I've like, I've hatched six or seven of them. Everybody's kind of lame ones until this year. Yeah, you see <laughs> Actually, no, I had oh. three this year. Come to think, I had a ball pipe on them too. I had three of them. You had you had that olive with that black patch. That okay, I no, I had four of them this wondering. year. Wondering. See, you know, you get this, that's what you get for hatching like a thousand babies a year. <laughs> it wasn't a thousand. That would be. It was. It was probably too many though. It was a uh, yeah. See, you know. Uh, so and that's that. It, it 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 keeps cropping up with enough breedings. Well, the olive thing I don't think would count as a, a paradox because olives aren't no. supposed to have any black pigment at all, let alone a giant black blotch of it. So I don't know what. No, that but that's is. just cool. 
you know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's like probably nothing, but, you know, everything's probably nothing until you prove that it is something. The odds are always against something being. But that's such a weird, because there is no black on an olive python at all. I mean, they don't no. have any solid black scale. So to have a solid blotch like that, that's pretty substantial in size. I mean, yeah. yeah. Who knows? I'll keep it. It's a female, so what the heck, right? Yeah, why not? See, see how see what happens. For all you know, I really like olive pythons anyway. So, hey, the beauty of what if the the odds of it being some random spontaneous mutation are probably pretty slim. Yeah, but when those things happen in captivity, it's almost you always end up with the random production of a heterozygous animal, not a homozygous mm-hmm. animal. Right. And since mm-hmm. I know for a fact that the parents of that are not het for black blotches, I mean because I've bred those animals. Jeez, I think that. The mother's fort. I hatched her like 13 years ago or something. I I've literally owned the produced the parents and the you know owned the grandparents and bred them all innumerable times. So mm. I, it's a one-off sort of a thing. So if it were genetic, it would likely be some sort of incomplete dominant, in which case black plots would be the heterozygous form. So it's probably just a fluke. But, yeah, but still, yeah. it's a, something cool that popped up that makes it all. Yeah. Over, so, yeah, yeah never know yeah. what the hell's coming out of eggs. So I guess I got that. I did have four weird ones this year. Now I think about it, but uh, <laughs> I'm not even getting into like you know the two-headed mutant things that you and I have talked about. No, no two-headed snakes this year. I did have two two-headed yeah. carpets in different clutches a couple of years ago in the same year. Nothing this year. Ah. But I just I just assume my snake only had one head. That works. It, it, uh, two heads really, if you look at it historically, rarely works out very good for the really uh, Rarely does. It's almost always a pretty unfortunate sort of a thing. Uh, you know, for every one snake with two heads that lives a normal life, there's you know almost a hundred probably that don't. It just uh, almost never, never works, works out. out. Yeah, I had yeah. a two-headed zebra that lived for about six weeks. Oh, but, uh, well, usually the problem with those things is bicephalic. Uh, or dicephalic, I've heard it used either way, but uh, usually the point where the two spines fuse together and come mm-hmm. together, usually there's some sort of obstruction they can't feed properly, they can't pass, pass it, and they usually just starve it up. Yeah. That's the case with my ill-fated two-headed zebra. He's weird, though. He lost that thing. At first, he laid there like it was dead for about two days. I thought, this thing's dead. He couldn't even move. It's like the two no. heads didn't know how to control the body because they wanted to do different things. And then literally over a couple of days, they like figured they out figured how to move. Out. And within like a week, it was moving around, perching on the stick, just like any other snake and everything. They figured out how to work together and everything. And both tongues would flick their head, both heads would flick their tongues and all that. But, uh, that, you know, didn't want to eat initially. Couldn't shed right either, of course. But, uh, obviously. No. But, uh, after its first shed, it wouldn't eat, wouldn't eat. I finally just assist-fed the pinky, it spit it out. I assist-fed it again a couple weeks later, it spit out and died. Uh, because the, right where all the plumbing has a Y together, there's usually always some sort of problem. Yeah, something's and that was not right. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, one head's plenty. We don't need two. Yeah, we're good. So, um, why don't we talk about the stuff that, you know, we were going to talk about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Not that I mind them, I love them. But um, uh, what was what, what were some of the first carpets that people worked with in the United States? I know for a while there there really weren't too many. You know, the weird thing is there's always been this stuff here. Mm-hmm. It's just that no one really could breed anything or even tried. I mean, there have been. I mean, I don't know when the first carpet Australian carpet pythons made their way to the United States, but at least in the early 50s, I mean, for sure. 
back then, everybody obviously is into Carby Python. You know, well aware that you know, Australia is kind of a rather draconian wildlife policy of not you know allowing much in the way of exports and everything mm-hmm. has been that way since about 1970. Well, prior to that, it was never it was never really legal to export things out of Australia. But prior to about 1970, it was not really illegal either. It was just kind of an area unaddressed by the law of sorts. So it was kind of a gray area. It hadn't been expressly outlawed, but it you know, it wasn't really, you know. Right now, wildlife the wildlife trade is fairly well regulated around the world and everything, and there's lots of regulations right. and you have societies and all of that. But there was a time before the CITES convention, and it mm-hmm. was basically a free-for-all. And during those years, those decades and everything, lots of animals came out of Australia to the United States. Now, I'm not suggesting that a lot of those animals survived and never got bred, because that's certainly not the case. But those mm-hmm. animals, they used to, they would come in and stuff. All of that stuff came in. So they'd been here, you know, for a very long time and everything. As far as the origin wow. of, you know, our captive lineages that we keep today, that's, you know, you know, a little bit different. But, uh, but yeah, there have been, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's an older guy. He breeds green tree pythons and stuff. And his family owned, like, a kind of a, one of those kind of roadside reptile zoo type places. Mm-hmm. In the 1950s, and they would get Brisbane coastals and all this kind of stuff, but we went all over now, but you know, this was in the 1950s. Nothing ever bred. Nobody ever tried to breed anything. So, I mean, they ever laid eggs. It was a complete accident. You didn't know what to do with them anyway. But, I mean, these things were – the emphasis in those days was on having a pet more than anything, uh, you know, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the private keeping of things. So it was, you know, collecting or having an animal as a pet. It wasn't really in you – know, everybody – We've had a real paradigm shift in the hobby where everybody now wants to breed everything all the time. Uh, and sometimes that's good and sometimes you know, not as good. But, I mean, mm-hmm. for better or worse, that is virtually everybody tries to breed everything they have all the time. And that is you know, really more an artifact of the last 20 years than anything. Prior to that, even when I was coming up, most people were just content to have a collection of rare and unusual stuff. And, uh, and not everyone was trying to breed everything all the time. So we definitely transitioned from a hobby of... Uh, of, of keeper reptile keepers who want to you know amateur breeders for sure. So yeah, this has been here for a long time. As far as you know, what we keep today and everything, the oldest two uh, subspecies are clearly coastals and diamond pythons. I've been here for quite some time and stuff. In fact, for the longest time, that was really about all there was. Jungle carpets a little bit later. IJs a fair bit later. You know, Darwin's, you know, Brettles a little bit later still, Darwin's and Inland's even later, you know, in fairly recent times and everything. So it's uh it's been a a slow evolution in that regard. I was like really big on tracking the ancestry and lineage of all these things that happen and everything, and people are like, Well, how do you know how do you know this isn't this? It's like how do you know it's not mixed with this? It's like, well, if it's old enough you can rule out a lot of things just by its age because there was a time before there even were IJs in the hobby. Uh, you know. <laughs> okay. So that's kind of weird. So if you have an animal out, that, if you can trace your animal's pedigree back to prior to nineteen ninety four, you can be very confident there's no IJ mixing it because there weren't any IJs mixing anything. You know, it's like there just weren't any because that's when the first was in the mid nineties before IJs even entered the hobby. Mm. Right. So you know, if your animal goes back to before the mid eighties or early eighties, there isn't even any jungle carpet in it. You know, I mean, it's like you get back to a point where if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's because of the duck. It's a duck. There was all there was (laughs) with ducks. You know, it's like it really isn't much else. I mean, now it's a very different because you know, essentially all the subspecies and species are around, and some number, you know, 
with one small exception and, you know, and everybody's kind of willy-nilly breeding everything to everything, so it's a whole different picture now. But the further back in time you go, not as convoluted. Still yeah. problematic in some cases, but not as bad. And there were a lot, there were less variables for sure. And there's did no it change? Did it... What? That, Eric. I was going to say, did it change the fact that um, people looked at carpet pythons as, um, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they look at it all as variegata? Like there was no jungles or coastals. There's just kind of. Yeah, even that is, well, I mean, they're different snakes. I mean, it's like anybody that has forward facing eyes and stereoscopic vision can tell you that. I mean, it's like what we technically call them at a taxonomic level has changed so much and it just keeps changing. And now it's kind of one of those, you can't find hardly two people that agree with, on that issue. Uh, everybody, and people, t well, people do what people always do and they bring their own personal biases and everything along for the ride and stuff. I mean, it's so it's, I'm very much a splitter. I mean, taxonomically speaking, you have two groups. You have lumpers and splitters. People want to make everything the same. People want to define very narrow little, you know, niches and everything uh, and stuff. And I'm kind of on that end of the spectrum, I guess. I just on the safe side. I keep everything pretty separate and stuff. And I've, you know, and I've, I have a lot of friends that are a little more on the hybrid friendly front who tend to not coincidentally uh, be a little, take a little easier view of that. Uh, oh, they're all the same. <laughs> So it's, you know, it's, uh, they're not the same snakes though. I mean, it's, uh, for the most part and everything. So, but, uh, taxonomically speaking, they were all considered to prior to 1984, 1980, prior to 1984, they were all very gata. All carpet right. pythons were very gata. Mm. And uh, in 1984, you had Wells and Wellington's first paper, and then they did another one in, in 1985, rather. So then Wells and Wellington wrote two papers that were not very well received. In fact, they were completely criticized and ignored at the time, uh, and that was in 84 and 85. And, but they're the ones who basically set up the uh, architecture of the various subspecies that we all still use today. Uh, at the time, in the mid-'80s, they were completely ignored. Everybody said, this is madness. And they ignored them because the papers were eh, kind of not very thorough, we'll say. Uh, not a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a certain, when you look at papers now, they're written you know, on taxonomy and things, there's a pretty high standard to be taken seriously. It's very, you know, if you look at like what a, a modern species description, uh, you know, anything written in the last 10 years, it's pretty exhausting. I mean, they make a pretty, you make a pretty good case. The further back when you start reading older species descriptions, even for descriptions for species that we still accept and nobody really questions now, but if you go back and read the earlier descriptions from the you know, mid twentieth century, early twentieth century, late nineteenth century, they just get progressively, you know, poorer. <laughs> so some of these are just like a paragraph and that's your species description with not much evidence. <laughs> right. The Wells and Wellington papers were kind of like that. And in the 1984 paper, they basically, in those two papers, primarily in 1984, it almost seemed like they were trying to reclassify damn near every Australian species of reptile. Not just pythons, but skinks and gummids and just everything. It was just this massive amount of, I mean, stuff. And so it wasn't really, uh, it was not really ex widely accepted. It didn't become accepted in regards to the carpet pythons until the Barkers did their really great book on Australian pythons in 1994, Pythons of World Volume 1, Australia. In which case, they kind of uh, recognized the Wells and Wellington names from 84 and 85 and elevated them, but demoted them to subspecies status. Okay. 
Okay. Imbricata uh, was not a Wells and Wellington thing, uh, and Bradley was not a Wells and Wellington thing. Those were separate and everything. But all the other ones, the Cheney Eye, the McDowell uh, relegating Barry Gottage's uh, top end uh, forms and everything, and Metcalf Eye, those were all the Wells and Wellington names. So they recognize those Wells and Wellington terms at the level of subspecies. And since then, people have just kind of stuck with that uh, and stuff. My own opinion well, is that Metcalf Eye should be elevated to a full species. Bradley always were a full species. Mm-hmm. And Imbricata clearly should be a full species. The rest of it's, you know, much more closely related than that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so at, there was a time when, you know, when the first jungles, the first people got jungles in the United States, there were, I mean, maybe they knew they had been classified as jungles. But <laughs> it was like right around <laughs> the same time where there's kind of like rainforest carpet pythons, you know, and stuff. So I, what about like, I mean, back, back, at, back in those days, did, were there animals that like, cause I think of animals like say Madam Blueberry or something like that. Mm-hmm. Is, was there animals that were, uh, that stuck out as far, or even with jungles, like you think of Cover Girl and stuff like that. Like, what's what's some of the history behind where did what bloodlines do they stem from? Well, Cover Girl wasn't Casey Lazic produced Cover Girl and Will Larry bought her. I mean, right. <laughs> well, and there you go. That's the Lazic jungle if ever there was one. You know, I mean, it's, right? Yeah, <laughs> produced by Casey himself. So it's a uh, the Madam Blueberry thing. We have had. Uh, because these animals kind of showed up here in drips and drabs over a period of years, typically without a whole lot of provenance uh, and stuff, it is very difficult to, you can't really ascertain like a locality for a U.S. bloodline or anything like that. Especially, you know, with jungles, that's less problematic because they're, you know, that regional form is confined to, you know, old growth rainforest in a very restricted area. There isn't, it's not, I've been there. It's not that big of a place. I mean, it's like that whole area. It's not really in terms of square miles. We're not talking about an enormous area of that that's even left. Coastals, on the other hand, have this enormous range uh, and stuff. And you see a huge amount of phenotypic variation throughout that range. The very southernmost animals, really very different from the more northern animals and everything. And stuff. And over the years, there have been southern form coastals. Like I mean, I've got the Brisbane coastals I produced this year, and everything, the the German line and everything. But that's those those southern form animals have contributed to the United States gene pool, uh, you know, as it is now and stuff. I mean, but if you look at phenotypically, what we're looking at with the U.S. coastals is we're looking at a population that is mostly dominated by more northern coastal stock, where your animals are a little smaller more boldly patterned heads, don't usually have red babies to the same extent that the southern animals do, uh, and everything. There's, there's no difference between size between our coastals and our jungles here, typically. It's, it's all the same stuff. Um, so what you've got is kind of this genetic mishmash of uh, northern and southern animals. So we have now we basically have an anim- a gene pool that's dominated by more northern animals. I'm talking about the, just the generic U.S. coastal bloodline stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a little right. vestiges of those more southern animals in there. So we have animals that look phenotypically like northern animals, but throw red babies sometimes, and, you know, this kind of stuff. But it's, but it's it's typically the more northern animals and stuff that dominate our gene pool, at least the stuff that ever got established. And stuff. So, yeah. Which so are, just in just in general, would you say what there's what maybe ten different line bloodlines of of carpets, 20, 
Oh, I would. I've, any, ne- I would. I've never actually even thought about that. Thought about it that way. Mm. You know, and the problem with that is there have been far more than that. Oh, I right. You know, it's, it's fair to say, but what survives to the present day? I mean, it's because very few people keep track of what they breed. They just get a jungle right. and they breed to a jungle. They're not keeping track of what's what. Even some bloodlines that were well established and some of the earliest bloodlines that you think would be the most numerous, you know, you know, as far as representation in our gene pool are effectively gone. Uh, and stuff. Right. Uh, you know, the oldest bloodline of jungles that everybody that you can be sure of anyway would probably go back to Larry Black in about 1984. It's like, good luck finding a pure Larry Black jungle now. <laughs> I mean, because I, I almost can't. <laughs> it effectively don't exist as a distinct entity. Now, here was a distinct bloodline of jungles, but it's now basically gone. Not that those genes from that line are not represented, because they very much are represented, but as a distinct entity, it no longer really exists um, because everybody bred everything to everything else. Newer bloodlines that showed up years later were bred to older bloodlines over here, and it all got put in the giant meat grinder, uh, basically. And now you've got a perhaps a more genetically diverse gene pool, but you can't pick apart what's what anymore because nobody bothered to keep track of anything. Right. And that is the case with a lot of these things. There, you know, some of these, I mean, the lines that were around you can't find. And it's shocking how fast this happens and how fast people can kind of lose track of things and stuff. Like I breed the, uh, a fours line Brettles pythons. And let's go back to Sweden and again, in Henrika Forest. And that's beautiful. Of the wild type Brettles bloodlines, they are absolutely stunning. There were never that terribly many of them produced to begin with. But I mean, I brought mine, I think I got my pair from Henrik out of the last clutch he produced in 2007. 2007 was not a long time ago. It was eight years ago. And I already, on a couple of occasions, have had people in Europe trying to get me to export that bloodline back to Europe. Really? It's like, because that quickly, you can't hardly find them. Why? Because everybody was too busy breeding them to make 88% brettle jags or whatever nonsense. And it's like, very quickly, (laughs) it doesn't take very long before you can lose that kind of, before... This, you know, a bloodline with its own distinct genetic identity can be lost. It's not that Brettles pythons aren't around, but it's not that animals that don't have some of that, some of those genes from that bloodline aren't around. But finding ones that are only from that bloodline that have never been mixed with anything else—that's a whole other story. And you find that kind of theme over and over again. And stuff. So, personally, I keep a couple of pairs of everything. I, I mean, if it's an important bloodline to me for whatever reason, I will, I make sure I have at least a couple of pairs. So, right. well, if you only have one pair or something and one dies, you don't have that anymore. You can't make that right. line anymore if you only have one. You kind of got to keep a backup there and stuff. And not many people do that. Right. Yeah. yeah with this stuff. So, this is kind of a. Uh, so, yeah, we've had a lot of. We've had probably a lot more genetic diversity than people would realize. But what. It all. A lot of it has just kind of gotten absorbed into so people believe in bloodlines that don't actually exist and a lot of they don't it's just so you got it gets very convoluted and everything you got like you know i see it all the time people mentioning oh that's a mix of this line and that line it's like well those are the same line it's like you know it's not, it's like, <laughs> I want to make this it's the same bloodline that's it's like it's not thing. these aren't the same you know it's uh and that happens all the time. It's like this is the same, you know, things that people think are different are the same, and sometimes things that people think are one thing are actually more than one thing. So it's teasing that apart 
can be a bit tedious and everything. But uh, I don't know. We have a we have a little more genetic diversity than than people probably think, though. Well, I mean, even I mean, there were a lot of carpet python bloodlines uh, in Europe that nobody had ever bothered to import into the United States. Not that they couldn't, just no one ever bothered to. And in the last right. you know, seven, eight years, I brought a lot of those in and started producing a lot of these other unrelated bloodlines. So we've had you know, three unrelated new bloodlines of jungle carpets in the United States in the last seven years that were unrelated to each other and unrelated to anything we already had here and stuff. But you don't right. see, you know, it's just out there if you really want it. You just got to ask the right questions. But I mean, as far as you know, U.S. captive gene pool, we're far past the point where you can just take anything for granted. If you want any right. confidence in anything, you've got to ask a lot of questions. Then you've got to really kind of do your homework and everything. Because it's, you know, you could, we're many, many years past the age where you could just buy a jungle carpet and, oh, that's obviously a pure jungle carpet. Well, it's like, now it's, you know, probably far more likely that it isn't for any of this stuff for that matter. You really got to do your homework. You know, and mm-hmm. it's hard to find out if something's a pure example of this particular subspecies. Then trying to attribute that to a particular bloodline is, you know, obviously quite a bit more difficult. It's not that it's impossible. I've you know, done a lot of that, but it is, it does make it hard to buy anything now, I've noticed. I mean, I have a hell of a time buying a new snake. It's very, <laughs> it's almost like I have to have some crazy background check on a snake. You can't just buy it and it's like, oh, that's pretty, I'll buy that. I can't. You guys are a little bit more free to do what you want than me. So, you know, that's, that'd be nice. Oh, right. <laughs> you guys don't have to know how frustrating it is, how many times I've seen someone will put up like a you know, it's always like a female jungle for some reason. I don't know why, but uh, like, I always need a couple more than I have. And they're like, oh, you know, it's beautiful. It's, and then you start, you know, asking a bunch of questions, and it's, it seems like you got a promising candidate. And there's always like that one ancestor that was a mystery snake from a shell or something. You're like, Damn it! <laughs> one in the den. It's like you can't. It happens all the time. It's like I've had to pass on so many like pretty spectacular animals and stuff for that reason because it was like you couldn't quite put it totally to rest. And that's not to say that something is, you know, is not what it's supposed to be. It's just that if you can't, you know, knowing, you know, yeah. in my case, not wanting to mix any subspecies up and everything, knowing that something is, you know, just because you, you, you know, you can't verify all of its ancestry and everything to your satisfaction doesn't mean it's not a pure jungle. It just means you can't verify it. It might well be. It just, you can't quite put it to rest. It doesn't make it a, not a pure jungle in any way. It just to me being kind of nitpicky about that kind of thing. Really. Uh, Very frustrating. You're allowed to be nitpicky. I mean, when they're like, I got it. It's a pure jungle. It was in a bin at a snake show with a Maclots python and a boa constrictor. Oh, yeah. You know, that's that's when you're like, are you sure? You really, maybe you want to double check this. (laughs) So it's like, you know, it's, it's those people like, maybe you don't want to, maybe you want to put non-confirmed jungle after that. And, you know, that's, well, and, you know, you guys know you've been around doing this a while now. It's like, what are the odds? That's, you know, at this day and age, in the era of the 94% jungle jags and the rest of it, it's like, and all the rest of it. It's like, what are the odds? That's a pure jungle. Pretty much zero, uh, probably. Yeah. We're very, <laughs> hovering right about, hovering just above zero, probably, uh, that it is yeah. anything you got from a job or at a show or whatever. The guy, you can't remember whose name it was, it's of a show. Yeah, that's not going to pan out very well, probably. <laughs> it's like, you just can't. I can't do it and stuff. I, I usually, anything I've got, I've got at least 20 years. I can go back on just about anything, at least. Sometimes, you know, much further. I've got jungles. I can go back 30 years or just right around 30 years. 
and stuff on <laughs> mid to a lot of selling trades back like the mid to late eighties. And it's like, well, that's you know, you know, I suppose you get people that'll always kind of give you the want to argue with you. Well, how do you know? It's like you know, well, it's like, well, geez, I mean. We're, how much more do you want? You know, it's like <laughs> I didn't pick it up in the wild. You're right. I'm sorry. Here's a picture. So. Yeah, but some of those people just want to argue with you. And even if you told them they did pick it up in the wild, they still just they argue with you still. It doesn't matter. I mean, they just want to argue. But longitude and latitude. Yeah. How yeah, do you know? I heard one time the argument is, uh, how do you know that the that somebody's pet uh, brittle python didn't uh, escape out into the wild and breed with you know <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> I've had more of these arguments than you guys can imagine. I just want to just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to gouge that part of my brain out with a melon scooper or something. I can't handle this. The stupid, <laughs> the stupid, it hurts. I just can't even, you know, it's always like, it, usually have those arguments, it always ends up with like somebody arguing about like, well, how do you know a bird did, a thousand years ago didn't pick up this snake and drop it? There's other habitat. It's like, what are you talking what? about? It's like, <laughs> A, that wouldn't matter anyway, but it's just like, it's just, it's like I don't care what wild snakes do at all. I mean, it's like, it's irrelevant. It's like, I just, you know, I just want to know that, like, my jungle carpets, that all their ancestors are jungle carpets. You know, that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't, how much the rest of this is just, it's just ridiculous and everything. I guess, you know, you can, I guess the point is you can argue anything to an, um, you know, just a completely irrational extent to the point where it just gets yes. ridiculous. And stuff. It's, uh, but uh, people who want to argue like that with you, they were just they they the people who just want to argue. And the, yeah, the right. goal is not to, <laughs> just, to, just to keep arguing and just using progressively more ridiculous and stuff. But uh, yeah. no, I don't know. Here we are wandering off again, off subject a bit. But But if you're you know, but, yeah, there was a finite time. It's about 1994. about the first IG became in. I got my first ones and. 1996, I think. God, that makes me feel wow. old. I bred them in 1997. Wow. Wow. Does that seem like a lot? Like, like the late 90s to me doesn't seem like that long ago. But maybe it's something like no. Like I was still in high school. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I, always, re- I always forget. When I talk to Owen, he's like so much younger than me. So it's kind of like. Not that much younger. How old are you, Owen? I'm 28. I'm 28. Okay. You're only 28. I'm 41. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm 41, dude. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Yeah. All right. Oh, 42. Yeah. All right. So maybe I am that much younger. And that's a. But yeah, that's 19... a. 1996. I was partying with uh, with Van Halen. You know what I mean? That's what I was oh, doing yeah. in 1996. <laughs> <laughs> Owen was in high oh, school. <laughs> Not even. Dude. Not even. I graduated in '04. Uh, yeah, but you had that. You had that mullet there too. So yeah, he was yeah, yeah, I know, right? I, uh, yeah, I did. I rocked it. I rocked it. <laughs> I thought oh, I was man. that singer from Def Leppard. You know what I mean? What the heck? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to get you a mullet wig. You're going to wear it at Carpet Fest the entire time. Uh, <laughs> like the, not allowed to take it off. It's got to be the, like the Joe Dirt mullet wig or something. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That would be Going. awesome. Party in the back, business in the front. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. I can't even imagine uh, having hair at all anymore. I mean, that would be... <laughs> 
I'd, I'd, I'd rock a mullet if I could grow any hair at all anymore. I'd be happy, I'd be happy, to, I'd be happy to have it, really. <laughs> See, oh, and these are the things that you have to deal with as you get older. You'll see know. one day. Oh, man, yeah. Look like, the future, Owen. All right, yeah. losing hair where you losing the hair where you want to have hair and gaining hair where you don't want to have hair. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, it's, it's like a gorilla. It's like I got no hair in my head. I'm starting to grow big patches up in my back. I'm like, what the hell is that about? Or is that just too demeaning? Oh my god. Yeah. No hair on top, but now I'm starting to get these giant patches up in my back now. Yeah. The joys of getting old. <laughs> All right, I don't know how we got on the back hair, but uh, <laughs> some carpet bloodlines, the back hair. The back hair. Yep, there you go. All right. New morph. So how important, I mean, if you're going to if you're gonna get into carpets, I'm basing this question from our uh, people that are new to carpets that are listening to the show. How important would you say is it, if you're going to breed, to have – genetic diversity as far as different bloodlines would you say you should go and say you're going to breed brettles would you go and get two different bloodlines and breed them together or would you say you know uh, would it be better to preserve the, the bloodline and you know breed the same bloodline together uh, I, I don't know i mean it's the that plays into the uh, discussion about inbreeding and inbreeding depression and stuff. And that is a little bit of a tricky one as well, because inbreeding depression is largely kind of a, not entirely, but it's a little bit uh, kind of a, we as humans have kind of a cultural taboo against doing that. And we probably inappropriately extend that to animals a bit more than we should. Um, there is intrinsically nothing wrong with inbreeding. Um, the only time it causes problems is, is you end up with a high rate of homozygosity. You end up with animals that are all very similar and genetically, and you have a lot of uh, where you're homozygous for quite a few genes and everything. That is not a problem at all unless there's something in your genome that you do not wish to be homozygous for and stuff. So if there's nothing bad in your genome, it really doesn't cause problems. I mean, case in point, look at the logic line Brettles fired dogs. I mean, they're all basically genetically the same, and they've never had any problems. I've got a bunch of them. They are all rock solid there because apparently there was nothing in there that was going to cause any problems. So even when breeding closely related individuals together, there's nothing bad that's going to pop out. That's not always the case, but I think we tend to look at it because we have this cultural taboo against it with our own species. We tend to kind of, I don't know, put a little too much emphasis on that as far as animals go and stuff. That said, I typically, if I'm going to work with a species, or what have you, I try to get as much genetic diversity as I can because why wouldn't you? Right. Uh, why would, you know, if you're going to be serious about it, so I have every bloodline of brettles that you can possibly get. I've got them all. I've got every bloodline of everything that you can possibly get, basically. I mean, because why wouldn't I want to have those genes at my disposal? Right. Certain bloodlines have certain attributes and stuff. Um, right. Typically, and you can, and, uh, not to understate the role of that and selective breeding, if you know that, you know, these a fours line brittle side on will say uh, typically gonna have narrow or dark outlines if you're selectively breeding, that's honestly you know an important thing to know and stuff. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I get every really genetic diversity I can, but I'm kind of obsessive. So I 
<laughs> I would always say on the side, if you, all things being equal, if you can get genetic diversity, why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> right. It's not to, really. I and mean, sometimes with some species, the gene pool is just too small. And sometimes it's not, you know, it's cost, it's cost prohibitive or it's not really feasible to have a genetically diverse group, in which case you do the best you can. You know, why, why wouldn't you want to assemble as much genetic diversity as you can uh, with everything? Right. That's my philosophy. Yeah. Right. It's kind of my philosophy, too. I would agree. Well, um, I mean, I like it because it opens up the options of if you want to expand on that bloodline, you can. If you want to outcross, you can. So, you know, you can do whatever you want. I'm weird. I like never mix things together. I'm like, even within bloodlines, <laughs> like, I've got the most beautiful fully striped like Palmerston jungles. And that's a pure jungle. I've got other jungles. They're not, they're kind of a black and gold snake. They're not like a bright yellow snake. But mm-hmm. I really would like that stripe in a brighter yellow snake, but I can't bring myself to breed one to a normal jungle. I know it will work. It, like, it's, uh, but it's like, I just, for some reason, I can't seem to bring myself to do that for some reason. That's like, I'm, <laughs> I don't know. Some of these things, like I never thought, you know, over the years, you know, Assembling this collection has taken all these, you know, 20-something years to assemble now. And it kind of, uh, things you never thought you'd be able to get your hands on ever, and then you have them or whatever. It's like, I never thought I'd have half this stuff or three-quarters of this stuff. So the thought of, like, mixing it with something else just seems important to me for some reason. I can't, like, uh, especially, like, a locality type thing. Because once you do that, then it's, you really start to muddy the waters quickly. Right. Right. So if I were to make some, you know, if, people equate Palmerston jungles with being striped and you breed a striped Palmerston jungle to a non, you know, just a normal jungle and you make some brighter yellow striped jungles that are half Palmerston, very quickly those become pure Palmerston jungles, don't they? Uh, mm-hmm. they, they people tend to uh, leave little bits off of information and everything over time. They tend to uh, omit things and everything as animals. I mean, most of the weird thing is most of these, it's not weird, I guess, it's just the reality, but most of these animals that we have will go through multiple owners during the course of their lifetimes and stuff. And it seems that each time that animal gets sold, less and less of that original information that may have been pretty important gets passed along and stuff. So, you know, I just yes. don't want to muddy the waters and stuff, but I really, I really kind of, I don't know, I fight myself on doing that one every year. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can't. one day. <laughs> well, I, I don't even have an ethical problem. I can't even make a really particularly good reason why I haven't done it. I mean, it's, it's just kind of, yeah, I just kind of like, I'm just so, I don't know. Uh, it's like the Brisbane Coastal, which I, uh, Eric just got a box of stuff uh, today. He's got a few of those this morning. Yes. It's like, I will never mix those with anything ever. I will die an old man, and those <laughs> things will have never been mixed with anything. <laughs> I even went so far as everybody I sold them this to I'm, this year, the first year I made them all promise that they would not mix them, with, mix them with anything else. I don't care. I don't want to see those males get bred to anything. Just don't. I mean, uh, finally, this unique thing that is different and it's unique and it's kind of special. And then as soon as you do that, it's gone. And there's no right. real tangible benefit for having done it at all either. It's just not going to make anything magical. It's half on it at all. But it's just like, hate to see that kind of go by the wayside. And there, there you go. There's a, there's a blood. Oh, there's another talk about bloodlines. Those snakes are old as dirt. <laughs> old as dirt. And they're almost gone. You talk about a bloodline that's perpetually been on the edge of just not existing. Those things, I saw Paul 
Paul's original adult pair of those were actually his girlfriends from the late 1980s. And when I saw them, I saw them myself in like 2010, and these snakes were like just obscenely old. They were like, they look like someone left the air out of their tires. They look like gaboon vipers. They were flat. Okay, they're just oh, wow. old and flaccid, and they have these giant heads. They just look wore out. Like, that looks like a 100-year-old snake. Have you ever seen a really, really old snake, how they look? They just kind of have a – you can just kind of tell that thing's a million years old. They look like that and yeah. everything. And there were never very many of them. And then everybody went a little jag crazy with so – for a while, they, even in Europe, everything that had a cloaca got bred to a jag, and certainly any coastal carpets did. And so now you have a situation where even though those animals, that is a European bloodline, that goes way, way back, there are almost none of them. Uh, animals die, they got bred to whatever, they only made, what if the snake only lays one clutch or two clutches in its life and then it croaks and you bred it to something else. I mean, that kind of stuff happens. Or I'm literally going to have to send more of those back to Europe whence they came since I've wow. kind of got them reestablished again because there are that few. I literally only know of like three specimens from that bloodline left alive and everything uh, from that bloodline. So I'm going to send some back. So there's a line that, you know, that, People tend to take things for granted as far as bloodlines. Oh, that'll always be available. That'll always be around. Oh, there'll always be guys like you, Nick. We'll keep that going. And you hear that a lot. That kind of stuff. But that's not always true. And things can Mm -hmm. kind of go away pretty quickly and stuff. You know, if there's only a handful of something around and then everybody breeds them to whatever and sells them, they get sold two or three times and no one keeps track very quickly, they're just gone and stuff. Right. You know, I mean, look at that happens with whole species. When was the last time you saw a Dunn's python? You know, hopefully soon if I can get my hands on one. But you, gonna, you got a lead on some? No, I was hoping you would. <laughs> oh yeah, that's you know, that's I all have I yeah I have plenty. Of, well, I have eight of them. But I mean, that's a whole species that we there's a whole species that we had here that nobody kept their eyes in the prize there, and they're just basically all gone. There's like a a small handful of extremely geriatric snakes around that might never breed again, and then there'll be. Yeah, you almost got to reboot a whole species, practically. So, I mean, if you can lose a whole species just to apathy, basically, or nobody keeping track of anything, you can certainly mm-hmm. lose a bloodline in a hurry. So, I'd encourage anybody on the bloodline issue, it's like, if that's something you think might be important to you, ask the questions early. When you're building your collection and everything, if that's something, if you don't care, you don't care. I mean, if it's just all, all right. about whatever you think is this pretty snake that lives in this box and none of that stuff matters to you, then it doesn't, then that's fine. But it's mm-hmm. the time to ask questions is not after you bought something, it's before uh, and stuff. And you kind of be, uh, and every year that goes by that you don't get the answers to those questions, it gets harder to get those answers. People's memories fade. It's very, uh, it gets very difficult and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, as time goes on and stuff. So I get those questions answered. If, you know, you wouldn't want to, I see. I saw a lot of snakes. I breed a lot of snakes. I'm constantly, you know, meeting new people and everything. You know, buy this every the other and everything. And they're talking. Oh, I wish I had to, you know, put a little more thought into it before I bought this. And they put kind of this hodgepodge collection that doesn't make any sense. You know, of random things that they, you know, as they start to get more serious and everything, they realize, well, I don't really want to breed that because of you know, X, Y, or Z and everything. So I don't know. Just I don't know. Choose wisely, I guess. But that's probably good mm-hmm. advice for you. Don't just never buy a, a live animal on the spur of the moment. Um, yeah. Unless you're me and it was a pair of blue tongue skinks at the last show I was at for some damn reason, but, uh, don't know. <laughs> <was> that? <laughs> I think I just bought those to get to make Zach Baez a little jealous, but, uh, <laughs> 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 
Captain Captain Boring Key Island Blue Tongues. Uh, uh, yeah, I couldn't resist. But, uh, no, I mean, it's like just choose wisely. If lineage is something that matters to someone, they should figure that out before. Take the time mm-hmm. to ask the questions and stuff and beforehand. If it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. But if it does, otherwise you, you can kind of end up quickly with a whole bunch of stuff you don't know what to do with. And then later on you're trying to sell this or that because you, you kind of uh, you know, didn't think it through as well initially. Right. Yeah. And stuff. So me, I have the opposite problem. I can't figure out what to get rid of. I have too many damn things. I don't know where. I don't know what to. I can't get rid of anything. I can. There's nothing I can just. Oh, I can obviously get rid of that. Nope. It's just kind of everything is. It's all too precious at some point. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah. I gotta thin down too. Jeez, I gotta. I've got to get just like the mathematics of it. I think I have to get rid of a bunch of adult breeder snakes, but I can't think Jeez. of other than like one male granite. I thought of I like I can but it's like I don't know what else I can part with. Yeah. Well, it's hard because you need this for this thing or that thing or whatever. There's this bloodline or that bloodline. You need to keep. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's very uh, time and space consuming. Yeah. What I what I tell people to do is, and Owen makes fun of me for this, but I do. <clears throat> when Go I on. was first getting when I was first getting into this, and back in 2008, I guess it was. Mm. I decided I wanted to work with carpets, and it's, I tried to find the people that had the best examples of that species or more for whatever it was, and uh, tried to get animals, you know, from them. Uh, depending on what it was, you know. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I planned out what I was going to do. Like, I wanted to do this, so I would need that. I wanted to make this, so you need this and you need that. You know, that way it's a little more thought into it. Whether it's morphs or whether it's, you know, uh, well, some mean, species just, yeah, or whatever, you know. That kind of a mentality is sort of far beyond uh, just, you know, buying snakes and stuff. The life in general It's like, you think about it. Nobody really ever got in much trouble by thinking about something too much, did they? By putting too much thought into something and really doing their homework and everything, that rarely leads to problems. It's the opposite that leads yeah. to problems, isn't it? But you're not thinking enough before you do something that tends to cause you some problems. Like thinking about it and having a plan and everything. I mean, I don't I – mean, some of that stuff, I mean, I don't know. I find if I make a plan too far in advance, I generally won't stick to it because some other variable will pop up in the three years before you get to that point that might change things. But I mean, right. You know, that's mm. happened. But I mean, I'm like, <laughs> with more related stuff, it's probably a little more that you're talking about and stuff. And uh, yeah. not that I don't mess with that stuff also, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. Think, think about it before you, well, before you make a move, I guess. Think, you know, think mm-hmm. long and hard about it and make a the best choice you can. Getting the best example of whatever you can, whether that's, the best example because of its physical attributes or because of its lineage or whatever the variable is that you find the most important. That's always the best policy, isn't it? Don't you always want to get the best you can? True. I'm amazed at how many people. I mean, it seems like there are only two people, two kinds of people, and there's almost no in-between. Like, I get mm-hmm. the people that want the best example that they can possibly get, and price doesn't even matter. They want the absolute best specimen. You know, but it doesn't, you know, for whatever it is for whatever reason. They want the absolute best, and then you get the other end of that where they want the absolute cheapest. And that's the problem. <laughs> I almost never get anybody in the middle. It's like they look for like the mid grade, like a nice combination of quality and price. You know, it's always like they want the cheapest thing you possibly sell them, or the finest thing you'll possibly sell them. 
Exactly. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of, it's always, but usually the difference in price between like the, even things that are graded, the difference in price is not tremendous. It's like, it's always better to get the best example. Like, yeah, spend an extra hundred bucks on a, on the best one from the best clutch. That you know, it's like, why that is always, because eventually if your goal is to breed these things, I mean, that's, you know, that's going to make a huge difference to everything, as does the ancestry and all of that, which I'm glad to see is kind of becoming a bigger thing with carpet python people. So that's becoming a thing now. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it seems to me, I don't know what you guys think, but it seems to me that this is the progression of how carpet python works, uh, carpet python keepers work. It seems like they come in and they're into like the flashy you know, the morphs or whatever, or jungle. I mean, when I was getting into it, it was jungle jags and diamond jungle jags. And they were like, the you know, the hot thing and everybody wanted one. And then all of a sudden when mm. you're into it for a while, then you have like this, I don't know if it's <laughs> you mature or whatever. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, maybe coastal carpets are cool. Maybe they don't have to be, you know, this screaming yellow and black thing. Oh wait, there's a jungle carpet that's like that. And then, you know, look, I mean, I was telling, I was actually, I told you too, Ellen, but I was telling Nick, I can't for the life of me understand like Darwin carpets, why people aren't just going freaking crazy for them. I can't uh, get it Yeah. because the one that Nick sent me today is fabulous. Oh my God, this thing <laughs> is crazy. You know? <laughs> they're neat. Uh, well, I mean, some of that I think is that being a rare subspecies, they're just more expensive. And when they're, you know, a few hundred dollars or whatever, like everything else, then people will be. Uh, plus, they probably also have the other where they're, you know, from 30 feet away, they look a little bit like IJs, which are a lot less expensive. So mm-hmm. once you've got them in your hands, they're obviously not yeah. IJs and everything. It's very different when you actually got them in your hand and everything. But it's like there's a, a big price discrepancy and everything. And I imagine, like, and that's with very little selective breeding at all. I mean, I can't believe how variable they are. I got I have crazy, fully striped ones that would, that are basically pure Darwin tigers. They are completely striped from Edith. I got lots of them, not lots, but a right. good handful of them and stuff. And this is like just the very first generation of any sort of selective breeding. And you kind of wonder, you know, two, three, four generations in the line. Well, look at some of the IJs that are produced now. Not like there's a million clutches of crazy IJs, but there are people in the United States now that are working with multi-generation catchment lineages that produce consistently pretty extreme-looking IJs. No one's yeah. done that with Darwin's. No one's done that with inland carpets, for that matter, either yet. And you kind of wonder, you know, what's three generations oh, of careful, yeah. selective breeding going to do, and you're going to end up with animals that are just outrageous. And nah, so, I hope so. so. Yeah, and yeah there's, you know, a, so. there's a picture of an inland in the complete carpet book. And it's one from Australia, and I I can't remember who took the picture, but it just goes. It just showed me (laughs) the potential of what. And I know I'm I'm opening up now, so I can get the. I I have it right here. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it might be. Yeah, it's like at the bottom of the page. Hold on. Of course, I can't find it when I need it. (laughs) Anyway, well, he's searching. Uh, Nick, I got texted a question from Buddy Buscemi, and from number uh, says that he he has you and Eric beat number one because he's forty seven. So ha, <laughs> and it's, not a con- it's and an old man contest. It is apparently. <laughs> I'm losing. Um, the winner. The second. <laughs> the second question is he wanted to know if you know of where the origins of the uh, jungle line from BPI 
kind of cropped up at. And is that its own uh, there is line? No or... line. There's another one. There is no such thing as a VPI line jungle. And then okay. They assembled a big group of jungles from all the other people who are breeding jungles in the United States entirely domestically. There is no VPI line. <laughs> they produced a fear, of, so there isn't one. I mean, they got jungles from Casey, and they got Larry Black, and all that other stuff that was around at that time. They assembled a really nice group of that stuff, and that is, there is no, they didn't get their own line of jungles ever and stuff. So they're okay. really... One of the most common bloodlines you see referred to, PPI line jungles, doesn't really actually technically exist uh, and stuff. I mean, if you again, if you if you choose the definition of you know, well, you know, they selectively bred them for you know, and use that kind of a you know, so maybe that in that sense maybe, but in a genetic sense, no. So wow, uh, it's still the same thing. I mean, all the, there are other the established bloodlines. They gathered up some good stuff, quite a number of them, and held a bunch back and. And started their colony of them. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was easy. Cool. That's uh, uh, but that's that's but that's again. It is you know what's uh, back to the what's the bloodline, I guess. Would that be the same thing of what we see with you see all the time? M Pen Coastal, which is really a Lemke line coastal, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one that actually traced those back for Michael. He's a really good friend of mine. Hey, yeah. Hang on, Brazilian. Yeah. Hmm? No, he said, hang on. So, yeah, he I found the. Uh... No, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, Michael got those snakes from a friend of his in Texas who got them directly from VPI. VPI got them from Amy Zirkel, who got them from Lloyd Lemke. Wow. In the late 1980s. Well, there you go. Wow. <laughs> That's where those come from. I mean, it's well, I mean, it's really not that hard to figure these things out. I mean, they know enough people. Is, you know, just don't the questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, people refer to them as like it's just, but that's a lot more complicated to say. It's people just like M Pen Coastal. So, well, I mean, but that, that line of those striped coastals goes back that far, so late '80s ish, at least, and it might go back further than that. But Lloyd Lemke's been dead for quite a number of years. And that's something else. I've got a bunch of stuff, not a bunch, but several bloodlines of things that you go back and hit a literal dead end because you, you get back to a point where that, that person, you know, the next person you need to call on that chain of custody is dead and you can't talk to them anymore. So Lloyd, you know, they didn't spontaneously magically appear at Lloyd Lemke. I'm quite sure he got them from someone else, but you can't ask Lloyd any questions because he's been dead for like 17 years or whatever. So... You can't right. really get back. It's hard it does kind of hinder that, you know. It, it is hard. And that just happened with, you know, several of these things. And you start getting back, you know, and people pass away and things. And sometimes it's hard to get back there. And beyond that, I mean, you get into, then you get into just complete speculation and stuff. So it's better than not, you know, you might have some guess as to where that, where the next step in that process came from, but it's, you can't really ever know that. So that kind of effectively. So that's why I always just call them the Lemke Coastals, because that's as far back as you can possibly get, I think, with that. You can't, there doesn't be any way to get past that, with certain, right. with confidence anyway. Sometimes you might have some suspicion, but you can't really get any any solid information beyond that. So that's just kind of that thing of that. So. Right. So, yeah, I found uh, the picture. It's on page 74. It's uh, for anybody that ever questions why carp looking uh, python, in my opinion. This example would be one of them. I mean, it's uh, which one is? I'm actually driving somewhere. It's an adult <laughs> specimen, Australian captive lineage, photo by Stephen 
Oh, Safai. yeah. Good Lord. Steven Safai? Am I oh, saying that I right? I know what you're talking about, yeah. Now, they've got a ton of potential. Like, can you imagine, like, if all the effort that went into selectively breeding jungle carpets to be bright yellow, because jungle carpets are kind of, you rarely find a bright yellow jungle carpet in the wild. You find, like, black and gold snakes. You find brown and gold snakes. You find you know, all kinds of things. You don't really find neon yellow and jet black snakes very often. You know, right, you know no. think of all the energy that went into selective breeding now that allows us to just take for granted that most jungle carpets are going to be bright yellow and black. If you put that much yeah. selective breeding pressure in your captive gene pool to make inland carpets blue, imagine what would be possible. You'd have a whole right. bunch of blue and orange snakes because that's they've got as much propensity to be blue as the jungle carpet does of the wild to be yellow. It's just a matter right. of time and just hasn't been enough time, that, you know, for selective breeding and enough, you know, focused effort. The jungle carpet's kind of a a weird thing, and there's kind of this weird single-minded obsession for one trait only, yellow, and that was it and everything. And, uh, you know, the inland's a little more subtle than that, but you got to think, you know, inland carpets have just as much propensity to be blue, brettles have just as much propensity to be red. I mean, all these things have a ton of uh, potential for selective breeding that is really largely untapped. There's a lot of these forms and stuff. We all, but if you look at what the average, we're looking at same books. Look at all those pictures of wild jungle carpets. They don't look anything like these neon <laughs> yellow and jet black things that we all have. Yeah, right. we've, you know, it's like we've, they they come in a lot of different uh, colors and everything. Rarely do they uh, show do they look quite that black and yellow in the wild anyway. But that's you know that's what we've been able to do with enough time and generations. I mean, we could do the same with inlands with the blue and the red and the brettles. You could do that with all of those things and stuff given enough time and i would like to i do hope we see more of an emphasis on selective breeding and everything it seems that everybody got a little more crazy i mean and yeah I, maybe a little bit more crazy too we certainly all have to one extent or another but and when you get too more crazy it's like a selective breeding kind of goes by the wayside because the morph mm-hmm. is kind of like a one-step selective breeding thing isn't it? oh this is just one gene and does this whole magical thing uh, and it's, you know, and it kind of, uh, you know, had we not had carpet mutations pop up, so we would just, the selective breeding of these forms would probably be a little further along because, you know, there's only so much cage space and so much time and, and effort to go around. And if more of it goes towards breeding mutations, then less of it goes for everything else. And that's just, you know, the math of it and stuff. So it'd be nice to see a little bit more of that, uh, you know, done and everything. I mean, I've got a million... I held back normal Darwins that are almost hypo-looking. Just I don't even care if they're head albino, but I've got several that are literally almost, they're so reduced in black, they almost look kind of hypo-y looking uh, and stuff. Because, and I've got, just, I guess it's striped ones. There's a lot of potential there to, to distill some unique phenotypes, you know, that aren't morphs yeah. and stuff. And that's, uh, to me, that, that seems like something worth doing. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, we were commenting, I was telling you the other day, Nick, we were commenting, uh, about, um, you know, just looking at your caramel and caramel jags um, mm. that you have on your site, you know, it's just insane um, where you've taken that. I mean, it is a morph, but still, I mean, you're, you're selectively breeding and the results are just insane, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, even if you're a morph person, like, I think some people uh, just think that morphs are magic. <laughs> and they're not magic. It's kind of, well, I, I mean, they, it's almost like, oh, well, all I need is this gene, right? And that's it. It's like, well, there are just, there are countless genes that code for color and pattern 
characteristics. You know, that Jaguar gene is one allele. It's not even the only allele at that locus. It's one of two alleles. At one, it's one half of one little, it's like this tiny little thing. And all those, it's like, yeah, that one gene might do this one thing, and that's great. But, you know, all those other multitude of genes that code for color pattern all have an effect. That's where the variation comes from. The JAG gene does the same thing in everything, basically. But all that variety, all those other genes that, for color and pattern, all those other things have a huge say in what the ultimate, you know, kind of phenotype of that animal is. And so to put everything all on the mutation and ignore all the older, other genes for color and pattern just seems to be doing a big disservice. I mean, you can apply selective breeding principles to morph stuff as well, and you will end up making better looking examples. I mean, jags vary tremendously. Hell, we've all hatched jags. Mm-hmm. We weren't even sure if they're jags. I mean, I've hatched a few. Yeah, yeah. Like, is that a jag? One, yeah. I still got one. I don't know if it's a caramel or a caramel jag. Like, I don't know. Like, I go back and forth. I'm not even sure. I mean, and, you know, caramel's another one that is hugely variable, but it's those other mm-hmm. traits. The caramel gene is probably doing exactly the same thing in all of those animals. It's all those other color and pattern that are having a big effect on how that is ultimately expressed and what you end up with. So if you can selectively breed, you can make better, you know, there's nothing you can't make better with selective breeding and everything. So, you know, I've yeah, read, I mean, sometimes it's, was, you know, it's even, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sometimes I was gonna it can say, be kind of counterintuitive. I'll, I'll bred animals, you know, on paper, like, okay, this animal has these attributes and this should complement this well. And sometimes it doesn't. And you don't keep right. doing that over and over again, though. It's like, and sometimes it, you know, it's, uh, and stuff. It's, uh, you know, sometimes a bit of trial and error, I guess. But uh, you can improve the the look and consistency, especially with things like caramels and jags that tend to be pretty, they vary quite a bit and everything. By applying some sound selective breeding principles, you can kind of better your chances because you have a look in your mind that you want them to mostly look like, by and large, and everything. You know, you want if you have a graded scale of, you know, some of these things are going to be off the charts, some are going to be about average, and some are going to be below average. Obviously, you'd like to focus on the better end of that, uh, you know, and everything. And you can you can definitely better your odds by doing that. This year, just wait mm-hmm. till I hatch with this year. I've got, uh, I finally got to the point where I I should make no caramels at all. It should be all supers all the time now. From the best supers nice. you ever saw in your life, bred to other supers. And I proved them all to be supers by breeding them out independently to normal last year. So now I can just completely go crazy, breed super to super, and I can know mathematically they're all super. I proved it. And then I'm really curious to see what a clutch of like 20 supers looks like because that range of variation, there's always like the outliers, you know. You know that anybody bred bred carpets, there's always those kind of outliers in terms of appearance and everything. It's like, well, yeah, you might have a few that are kind of below average. You've got a bunch that are about what you expect. There's always that one or two in the clutch that are just even beyond the next level, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Carpets right. are really good about having those few outliers in every clutch. Well, it's like, well, you know, I've held back all those outliers that were the super extreme, super caramel jags, and they were the crazy extreme end of that spectrum. Well, now I'm bringing them together. So there should be a What's couple that in that clutch there that should be the outliers from that clutch that should literally probably glow in the dark when you turn the lights off. Right. And then you hold, and then you hold those back. <laughs> and then you just, you just endlessly <laughs> repeat this process. But this is how we end up with these kind of, really extreme looking animals and stuff. So um, I don't know. I love, I'm looking forward to that more than I've read striped super caramel jag or striped super caramel jag. And I don't even care about losing the 25% of the baby who won't hatch, but whatever. The 75% right. of the do hatch are going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I don't lie. I've never bred jag to jag as my first year doing that. It's, uh, I've never, I just, a couple of projects 
Uh, it was the only males I had were also yeah. Jags that carried. So the only Xanthic male I have that is an adult is also a Jag. So I actually had to breed Jag to Jag. So I should produce an Xanthic Lucy, and I will produce multiple Super Caramel Lucy's. Because from those wow. two clutches from Super Caramel Jag to Super Caramel Jag, I did two clutches. They're all going to be Super Caramel. So anything that's white will also be a different. Super Caramel Super Jag. What? Yeah. I don't know. I'll take a picture. I've never. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'll, they I'll look funny. It'll be, I imagine this be a white train wreck like usual, but I mean, it's not like the magic symbol. I don't think I'd be able to tell. The, I'd be surprised if I could tell the difference. What happens in ball pythons? What happens what? when you breed like? What happens in ball pythons when you do that? Say you're breeding uh, an exanic to uh, to something leucistic. Is it just going to stay white, or is it going to change how it looks? Pretty much. Uh, there have been a few times where people have bred uh, Lucy's that combine with other morphs that actually, in weird scenarios, put pattern back on the white snakes. Really. Uh, that's happened several times. Uh, if you know much about ball python more, somebody made a blue-eyed leucistic clown, which it looked like a pure white snake, and then you put a black light on it, and you could see the clown pattern with a black light. It's weird. <laughs> that's kind of cool. When you just in a normal room light, it just looked completely normal, but the black light showed like there actually the pattern was there, but you couldn't see it unless you're under oh, wow. UV. Oh, yeah, there, and there have been a few of them where it actually put like some faint patterning will actually put back on the snake. And stuff. But I mean, obviously, with carpets, it's going to be largely irrelevant because the snake's not going to live long enough to really get a light bulb, a black light out to look at it. But um, you mean this isn't going to be the uh, the the secret thing that gets? <laughs> Stop it! Stop oh it. man, you right. talking about that? We no, know. Yeah, that's another one. They just like you want to bang your head on the wall over and over I, again. I I lose brain cells every time we have this discussion. Okay, can we? No. Oh. Nick, every time we uh, we do a show and we talk about that, and we say that you know it's not going to work, it's this not going to happen. No. You know, we we this get about five it. emails that say, "Yeah, well, you Are know, you sure? really <laughs> like, yes, oh my god, yes, I'm positive. <laughs> yes, it's uh, I, I it's, it's madness. Point. It's madness. I don't. It's like." And the idea, I think, like, well, if all mutations are, all these morphs effectively are the same thing, and that they are defective, broken genes that don't work right, basically. Mm -hmm. They're a bunch of broken genes that don't work right. And in the JAG case, like, well, it's so broken that it literally, two copies of it literally kills a snake, and it can't even go out of the egg because it suffocates because the lung doesn't develop. Somehow adding, they think about that, like, okay, one copy of this gene has some side effects. Two copies of it kills you dead in your track. Uh, the thought that adding a different broken gene on top of that would somehow fix the fatal flaw in the other two broken genes? Like the, <laughs> oh, you, know, you know what fixes genetically defective, this genetically lethal More. gene combination? Another broken gene. If we could make this even less fit for survival, that would somehow fix it. Uh, yeah. It just, it just does not ever work that way. Ever. But I get you know, people always like, oh, you think like, uh, you think the, uh, yeah, if I put it up there, you think someone will, someone will say, I'll post a picture and like, you think the super caramel ones will do better than the, no, 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 yes. no, no. <laughs> might, might kill them faster if anything, but it ain't going to last longer. I mean, I, you can see a number of scenarios where adding another broken gene on top of a bad combination might make a situation worse, but it's never made, right. it ain't never been a case where it made it better. You know, it just doesn't doesn't work that way and stuff. I mean, I have seen, like with Jags, I have seen other Jag combinations where there seems to be what almost seems like anecdotally to be a higher incidence of neurological 
of the normal mm-hmm. Jag stuff seems to be more prevalent in some combinations, but that that at least makes sense. You're added another broken gene on top of the other broken gene. Now this makes right. it by definition more broken. You know, it's uh so that at least but my Jags sense. don't have the Nero. They're they're completely different than everybody else's Jags. Oh my bloodline how many times have you seen that one though? My my bloodline's blood not blood line They're all from the same animal. <laughs> All descended from one snake. Like every zebra is descended from one snake. Every albino is descended from one snake. It's like, you know, not, uh, uh, somebody got me on, uh, my rough scales are unrelated to everybody else's rough scales. And I'm like, what? There's, there were only like five oh my of them. God, I don't know what the deal is. I have heard that one. I've heard that one a number of times. I've been offered oh, some unrelated rough scales. Like, get out of here. You know, he's like, <laughs> there were, like, there were, there was one. Stop it. Yeah, it's it, that's just like that's you know fun, that's so. just not even you know. Uh, no, I don't. I, I'd be very dubious of that one. They take a lot of convincing there, you know, and stuff. But it's uh, again, there's a population where all the rough scale pythons on the planet effectively descend from 3.2 wild collected individuals, mm-hmm. and don't seem to have any problems. No. Not right. that I've heard of, and they've been breeding like no, they rabbits. Be, well, mine don't. I mean, I'm like, oh, I, I know. I've been waiting for yours. <laughs> I, you know, I'm like, I, I don't want to get my hopes up, but the female looks like she's grabbing. I, I, I've never seen uh, a male go near this thing. Like, they're the most disinterested. She's producing sperm. She's ready to go. So either I think she's just full of really large follicles, and it's like you can yeah. just tell if the male would just slip in there for one second, it would just be done deal. But I just don't think he's. He just sees a dud. He's not. Sufficiently motivated. Uh, Breakdown. Yeah, I killed. You know, it's like a female rough scale full of follicles uh, doing yeah. nothing. She kind of looks grabbing. Female rough scale full of follicles. Oh, she's huge. She's absolutely. She's not huge. She's not big snakes, but she's full of follicles. Yeah. I mean, she looks. If you picked her up, you'd think that's a gravid snake. You'd think she's gravid, but uh, that male's never gone near that thing. So now uh, I'm subconsciously hoping that maybe he did go near at least once, and I'm just, you know, I'm psyching myself up. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Really like them. That I hope you so. like. When do you have one? I have. I have two. But they're both you boys. Two males. Yes. <laughs> Why have we not worked out a deal? Didn't you owe me a bunch of I'm money? I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're both fairly young. They're only about a year, year and a half old. Yeah, that don't matter. That breed of a year. Right, well, breed of a year and a half. I need another male. Mine's kind of a death. <laughs> what? I'll mail you to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one of them is you kind of like this other thing, man. You have a backup plan. Like sometimes you only get one male, and like, what if he's not very motivated? Sometimes that happens, and you end up with sometimes nothing. that happens. Yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, I've, that's happened. To, that's why I try to have like two point two of anything. I'm really serious about the rough scales, you know, because I got mine out of the very first clutch in the U.S., so they were kind of expensive. I can really just like, you know, wasn't in a position to be buying like multiple pairs of them uh, or anything of that, you know, when they at that initial price point and everything. So kind of at the same time, a lot of other things came up too. So mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, I need another male. I need another female, but I'll, I always I'll laugh. People you, like, oh, I'll I'll send you my boy. Wanna, I always laugh. People like want to buy like 1.3 or 1.4 or something. It's like, yeah, why do you do that? One male doesn't do anything. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> like, I've got like extra males of everything, except, you know, sometimes you can't like, you know, like the albino olives. I've got 1.2 visual albino. I've got other male olive python. But there just wasn't mm-hmm. enough mail to get, and they're you know kind of expensive. So sometimes you're gonna have to do it that way, but it's never possible. 
you know, I, uh, I keep that or I either keep another one back or whatever. I mean, next year I'll have another pair of all those bloodlines. I'll have extra pairs of all of them because I held them back out of the first clutch. Mm-hmm. my own insurance policy. But, yeah, now we'll talk. You got two male ruffies. I, I don't have any confidence in this guy. Unless she produces a clutch of eggs or something and surprises the hell. And then, then you've got total confidence what? <laughs> no one, no one's locked. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh like man, no, I, no, I like them. How big are your males? Uh, they're both on small rats. They're on small rats. Weanling rats. Weanling rats. They're pretty big, dude. They're on medium yeah. rats. No, not oh, medium. They're on weanling. Weanlings. Weanling rats. Oh, my adult males probably just yeah, barely on weanling rats. They don't need to be very big. Oh, they're, little, no, they're, not, they're small snakes. All right, mine are monsters then. <laughs> so, yeah, they're already ready to go. Man, I wish I should have known that before this season. I could have got one for you and had a better outcome. Yeah. I guess I did know you had them. I just forgot all about it. Yeah, yeah. So you need to put that in a box with Eric's Halmahara mail, and then I can do that. You know, Eric doesn't need to know that I keep the Halmahara. So I'm going to box and match some things up there, you know. Jeez. Yeah. His, his wife will let me in. I'll just go grab it. It'll be fine. There you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Man, you got any other bloodline related questions or anything? I guess. Uh, or no, I think uh, I think we're okay for now. They yeah. have to get back on for various other stuff, and Eric's going to have to get you on for the uh, roundtable, even though he's trying Thank to. You. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we won't do it. I've been saying this for years. Like, how do you keep yourself on the round table? Like, like, what the? <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, put me on the round table. You won't do it. <laughs> uh, probably wanted to get on there with Dave it's Kelly like... was on there because I thought that'd be funny, but now he seems to have kind of disappeared lately. So, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's like. I... Nick is kind of like, uh, I don't know, he's like kind of guides me in this whole reptile thing, and it's like arguing with your dad. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, he's <laughs> like one year your dad? I'm like, I'm like, you're like one year younger than me. I know, but I'm I just feel like, oh, I can't argue with him. <laughs> Dude. Now, we'll have the, the round table, and I'll come on, and I'll get Paul to come on, too, so then we can have, like, the, the grandfather figure. Yeah. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's arguing with their idols. It's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's all just know. friendly banter. There's no arguing. Yeah, I know. It's like, just, it's uh, that'd, be, that'd be funny. Uh, that'd, be, that'd, be, that'd be funny. Yeah, now there's any, uh, yeah, the bloodline stuff, it's it's very difficult with the jungles and the coastals to know exactly. Mm. You can kind of, the coastals especially, because they do stretch back even further still. And it gets back to the point where it's very difficult uh, and stuff with a lot of that stuff. But if you get back far enough, it's pretty obviously a coastal carpet because there wasn't anything else to mix it with because it literally predates everything else. You know, it's not obviously a right. diamond coastal integrate or something because it goes back to the mid 80s. You'd probably be pretty confident that it's what it's supposed to be, you know, because uh, there really wasn't anything uh, prior to that to mix things with it anyway. You know, the, the inlands and stuff, you've got two unrelated bloodlines that are not disputed and everything. There's and maybe a little other stuff here and there, but there's uh, Darwin's, it's kind of a a mixed bag, but obviously all of them are, with one exception, are somewhat related because you think there's the albino gene has one common ancestor. And right. stuff, at least. Uh, so it's, they're very, 
you know, relatively closely related there and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, yeah. There you have it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, I, I know you, I don't know if you, you had to go or I know you said you only had a limited time, but, uh, yeah, you know what time it is. I'm actually sitting in front of him just to be now. I play a pool every Tuesday night with my father for like the last 20 years on like a team, a billiards team of sorts. So like, oh, okay. Me and the old man for like every Tuesday night at seven o'clock for 20 years now, pretty much. So I'm actually oh. sitting on training just to be here. I told him to put me last in the rotation because I had the interview to do and everything. So it'd be a problem with that. Right. Yeah. Cool. Hey, I like to hang <laughs> out every Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess I'll be getting here and getting my thing done and everything. But uh, good talking to you, boys. Likewise. Yep. All right. Owen, uh, give me a call on that rough scale tomorrow. I'm totally serious. I got to give you a call anyway (laughs) because I got to lay up all the stuff that I want to buy from you in 2015 because I want to waste. Yeah, but see, now you're in even better condition because you have something I need now, see? I know. (laughs) That's what you call leverage (laughs) for me. Yeah, it's like an, all of a sudden you found it away. Like, oh man, I don't got to give me the rest of the money I owe him now. And I probably had some money <laughs> left. Oh, I got some, nailed it. <laughs> got some. Oh man, yeah, see, things are looking up. See, so, yeah, so yeah, and uh, I can't believe I did not realize you had two that would have been ready this season. I'm totally kicking myself. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I kind of am too because I would have liked to send them to you, <laughs> or at least oh, one of them. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I love those things. They're neat snakes, but. Uh, it's like having a yeah. bull snake or something with just on a branch. It's uh, they're kind of. <laughs> I, I really like I really like them, but it's uh, very frustrating when like you, you know, spent no small amount of money at the time, you know, mm-hmm. pair of snakes, and the male just doesn't want to do anything. It's like, are you kidding me? And the female's like a wow. totally hard feeder. The female's never eaten a rat in her entire life. One of those <laughs> snakes, like it ate mice. It'll eat African softbird rats like crazy. It'll eat birds. It'll eat anything I have ever put in there except a rat, which is, of course, what I want it to eat. It's not that big a snake, so it's not like a huge deal, you know, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's like, man, I have like one of those you got to put some extra work in to get the thing up to size and everything because it doesn't want to make it easy. And then the male just nothing, not doing anything. And they don't combat, and they, I don't have another one anyway, and the males don't fight anyway, so you can't even use that. Like, you know, you have a poorly motivated uh, carpet python breeder that doesn't, uh, you know, isn't getting the job done. A little male combat is a huge, mm-hmm. uh, huge thing, you know, a huge tool in the, in the arsenal to kind of get them motivated. It really is effective and everything. Uh, these species that don't combat, but like inland carpets, meh, they don't do that really. <laughs> they can't, you know, rough you up on them, meh, don't do that. It's like you can't, it's, it's, uh, I love the species to combat because it, it gives you that kind of a, uh, Especially I find with like little virgin males and stuff that aren't very well seasoned yet, it's like kind of lights the fire under their ass pretty effectively right. to get to get the job done. But uh, not so with the rookies. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, nope. yeah. All right, all right, boys. I'm gonna get running. All right. and I will talk to you guys okay. later. All right. Cool. All right. See you, Nick. Right, see, see you, Nick. Yeah. We should throw out there. Uh, check out Nick's website, inlandreptile.com. Uh, and uh, you also can follow him on Facebook, Hinland Reptile, um, if you want to see what uh, what Nick has going on. Some awesome stuff, mm-hmm. <clears throat> for sure. 
speaking of awesome stuff, um, <laughs> uh, well, today I got a box of snakes uh, from Mr. Mutton, uh, yeah. which contains some stuff from uh, not only Nick, but from Paul. Um, at UK Pythons, which uh, yeah. I'm pretty excited about. <clears throat> um, I got an Exanic Zebra, female. I've been talking about that, but dude, let me tell you something. The Exanic gene uh, mm -hmm. is very, very cool in carpet pythons, I for sure. I do love it. <laughs> yeah. I do um, love it. I want more. It's like, it's like this is what I was talking about with... Um, uh, I said I'm going to have to call Nick because I'm sitting here the other day and I'm looking at my um, Exanic Jag Colt and I'm looking right. at my Super Caramel Jag Taisha and I'm like, I can't breed you two together even though I really, really want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jags. I'm like, I painted myself in a corner. So I'm like, I'm going to have to call Nick and get another Exanic. I'm like, crap. There's <laughs> money. So it's like, you know, and, and you bastard with you're like look at all the pretty things i got in the box you got that exanic would you get a zebra today exanic zebra yeah that is which is sick uh, looking like it's pretty cool disgustingly sick like i think you should bring it here and leave it here for let's say three years so that i can properly <laughs> examine him over the course <laughs> of his life well and you can have him back it's a it's a female, and she's going to be breeding oh, in probably right. 2016. Um, Jesus Christ, how big is this animal? Um, she, I mean, she's eating weaned rats. I thought it was like a baby baby. How big was this box? No. Huh? Oh, yeah, it was a big box. It was a big box. Yeah, it was a big box. But... Uh, Hopefully, she'll be going with an Exanic Zebra Jag. To make Exanic uh, Zebra, Exanic Zebra Jags, Exanics, and yeah, that's it, right? No, Exanic no. Jags, uh -huh. Exanics, which would uh -huh. be crosses, Exanic uh -huh. Zebras, Exanic uh -huh. Super Zebras, Exanic. Oh. Zebra Jags, Xanic Super, Super Zebra, Zebra Jags. Oh my gentle lord! Yeah. Wow. So that's a pretty you know cool project. She's a female, and mm -hmm. aren't you potentially making double head snows this year? Uh, yeah. And don't you already have an albino zebra somewhere? I have an albino zebra jag, yes. <laughs> Couldn't potentially you make super zebras that are double head snows at some point somewhere, or zebra jags that are double head snow? Yes. Wow. My, 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 haven't we put on the big boy? <laughs> <laughs> High end, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Because you know what? Uh, when you do things like this that prove to me that you are like a, a, on a really high level, when you say I'm all high end, you take all the, you suck all the fun out of it that I have with it. <laughs> that like, you know, when like you, like when you do things like you trip and I'm like high end, baby. It's like, you know, you take, 
you have to stay on my level so I can make fun of you. If you go above me, <laughs> then I look like a jackass. So yeah, you're, you're really like, damn, he is high end. Damn it! We <laughs> <laughs> well, already had that question where it's like you're like you're like I think you'd like Brisbane's, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I never really saw them. And you keep showing me pictures of your Brisbane's, and I'm like, damn it, <laughs> damn it, yeah, I'm, I might have to buy these. And then of course we have the discussion with. You and I had the discussion before the show went live where I'm like, you think Nick would disown me if I bred a Brisbane to a Jag? And he goes, I wouldn't think he'd disown you. He'd just kind of be shocked that you did it. So I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm going to yeah. le- after our conversation, I'm going to lean towards disownment after this episode, okay? So. <laughs> Only if you bought him in the first year. <laughs> you, you didn't tell me. You made everybody promise, okay? So, yeah, I, I forgot know, about that. <laughs> Sick twisted game you're trying to put me in. <laughs> yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. The locality thing to me is like I kind of look at it like it's um, this locality thing with Condros. You know, yeah. Um, I don't really know if if you can prove or if you'll mm-hmm. ever be able to prove because there's no real providence. Prop, pro, say that right, providence that uh, shows that these. Animals came from, you know, Brisbane or Port Douglas or uh, or it would be hard to prove because of legality, Um, you know. So but I still look at it as um, as that type, you know. Mm -hmm. So to me, when you have something like a Brisbane coastal or a Palmerston jungle to me i don't know if you breed it to something else it kind of takes away the i'm kind of like nick where it kind of takes away from the the point of having said animal you know what i mean i don't know but also i guess if you look at it if, if it had a specific phenotype like the striping thing i don't know that's a hard thing for me because i really like striped jungles so I'm sure maybe at one point I'll probably cross that, but I'm not going to make mm-hmm. it like check out these Palmerson striped jungles. It's just going to be these striped jungles. Striped jungles. <laughs> yeah, it's also going to be. But you're also you know? going to breed your Palmerson and Palmerson together to just, and then you'll produce more Palmersons, and those will be the ones that you will advertise as straight up Palmerson line jungles. Right. Exactly. So that's you, right. and that's your that, and that is a sound thing. You and I have talked about this before. How you kind of you love to toe this line, and I like to call it the Eric's a crazy son of a bitch line. And this line, you you wander between between morph and mixing and locality and purity. Yeah. Versus you you you're just like Nicky. You get everything: bloodlines of this, pairs of this, pairs of this, pairs of this, and you get it so that every year you can decide whether you're going to make pure stock to throw out in the market or you're going to mix and have fun with it. Yeah. Or you, you breed, you breed the morph to, to I mean, I don't, right. To a nicer, uh, pretty much outcross to shit in your own, in your own room with your own projects, not even have to go outside for anything if you wanted to. And yeah, that's the point. Then you're not, (laughs) but then you're not above doing the crazy thing just because it would look cool. Like I sent you my ivory, um, Jack and she's not, she's diamond coastal, jungle i sent her to you right. to breed with your ivory jungle because we're hoping that we'll get whitish ivory looking jag thingies yes 
mutt, 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 mutt. It actually hurts my soul. <laughs> but, you know, it's, <laughs> I'll send them to Eric. He can do the mutt. But it's like, you know, <laughs> this is how I'm going to get around this project. <laughs> Great idea. <laughs> yes, yes. I wonder if he'll do it. <laughs> Here, take this big jag. <laughs> read it. Yeah, read okay. it. All right. But it's, it, it makes it, it makes sense that, and then you can also, if you wanted to, you know, do something completely pure and locale. It's very cool, and uh, I think it'd be much cooler if more people were to think along those lines instead of what is the brightest, cheapest thing I can get to add to my JAG project. Okay, that's good, but what are you going to do with the other years that you're not doing it? That's why if I spend a lot of money on an animal, it needs to wear multiple hats inside uh, Rogue. I mean, it's like if I buy an animal, it's because he's going to be able to breed. He or she's going to be able to breed in multiple projects, not just one-on-one, unless it is a set project. Like That's why I never go above trios for side projects. So. Right. Well, anyway, what else came in the box, Eric? Uh, well, we talked about the Brisbane's, which uh, yeah. are very, very cool. Um, very mm-hmm. cool looking coastal. Um, I got uh, a Harris line Brettel, which uh, is really nice. Um, how how different does it look than the other line Brettels? Well, if you look at the Afores line, um, the black is reduced, like the black that that on goes the around the uh, yeah, the, the black that's on the pattern um, is mm-hmm. kind of like uh, is reduced. But if you look at the Harris line, it's more pronounced. I guess it gives you more contrast type of look. And okay. the red, I mean, from the adults that I've seen, you can go to UK Pythons and uh, see some of uh, Paul's adults and. Um, I don't know. They just have a different look to them. Uh, they're a lot like a darker red, I guess, um, which is cool. I don't know. I, with Brettles, I, I really uh, – I have – let's see. Right now I have a pair of a fours. I have uh, the female, the Harris. I have uh, one from uh, Lazic, and then I have a trio of Striped and probably I – mean, the coolest thing in the box for me – was the hypo brettle i got a hypo brettle male and i don't want to see him at some point because that would be cool and i mean i want i want you to take a closer look at now that my um the brettles that i produce are getting a little bit bigger mm-hmm. i mean it, it's like i i know their lasik line at least that's what i was told um except for the one female um sparrow who's who might be gravid right now i have no idea where she came from and it's like i'd love to compare the babies to see what could be there, even though I'm just going to keep the, the, their LASIK line until somebody proves me different. So, um, but it's, it would just be so cool to see the different, I haven't seen that many different lines of bread line up close. So. It, and you I know, it's to- hard to tell. It's hard to tell when they're, when they're this young, because if anybody that's mm-hmm. kept or, or, you know, Oh, and you can contest to this since you've hatched out uh, Brettles this past year um they kind of come out and they're just kind of dull kind of <laughs> you know kind of like carpets are dull but these are really kind of dull and um it's hard to imagine them turning into like this beautiful red snake and some mm-hmm. some do some don't some have different variants of, of degrees of the red but i guess what i'm gonna have to do is i'm gonna have to get a picture with a hypo 
with all the of them. In the, you can get the bucket picture where you put them all in the bucket and you take a picture. Yeah, and uh, see if I make freak everyone out. So. <laughs> because the hypo, I mean, mm. the hypo stands out, man. I'm telling you, as soon as you see it, and and it's not. I mean, I took a picture of it today, and I think I got pretty close to what it looks like. But again, still, when you see it in person, and you know, there's no black on this animal at all, none. And whereas you look at an animal of the same age, and it's not bright red, where this thing is screaming bright red. So, and it's just going to get better with age. You can just imagine what they're going to look like as adults. Um, and then when you throw in there a selective breeding, I mean, good Lord, man. I mean, yeah, it's just insane having a red, you know, a red carpet python is just nuts. So and I, I don't know. All of my brittles, they're just, they're so, you know, they're they're everything I love in a python. They're thick body. They got big broad heads. They're so super chill, uh, except for my one female who just is. They, she, they want food constantly. Like there's yeah. probably the worst bite I got is I got I got bit and I got wrapped behind my female brettle on the hand, and I dipped her uh-huh. in a bucket of cold water, and she's like, yeah, and and fighting. <laughs> it's like I'm like right. I forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot what I was dealing with here. So that led to another like 20 minutes of struggle. So, yeah. But that happened in right. January when it was like, when the cage was like 50 degrees. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, it's like they don't care. Nothing bothers them. And I love that. So, right. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think um, I, aside from your horrific bite incident that you had <laughs> i think that they're pretty uh pretty chill you know and it's they're like, pretty bull like your brittle bitch you what did you do i don't know <laughs> uh, so i mean they're pretty bulletproof they're very very hardy um, yeah you know because they come from the desert it's really cold at night and really hot during the day so they're able to withstand temperature swings i'm really surprised that how they're not more popular I just I don't know, those kind of things, you know, I guess with everything, selective breeding and time, um, yeah. you know, things will happen. I think that's, um, uh, I think that's kind of the thing that you're going to, that we'll see over the, I mean, the next couple of years, um, I think will be very telling for the, uh, carpet python world, um, because I think that now that I mean the only thing that's not in the states now is imbricata. Um, yeah, I know, and I know you're waiting, you're counting, you're hoping. Yeah. You're <laughs> contacting contacting people with boats in Australia to see who can smuggle you what I and mean, what. So it's, yeah. You know, it, it, uh, you're I think right. that now. Yeah. No, go ahead. I mean, well, this is the thing. It's like you know, these these, these when I started keeping carpet pythons. You had M pens, you had stripes, you had tigers, and then jags were beyond reach, and that was it. And now to have so many things that you saw in magazines, read this, read that, saw in a picture on like Marco Shea's website that he found it somewhere in the bush, and you're like, holy shit, whatever that is, it's awesome to have access to all these things. And now to be talking about different bloodlines, I mean, these are things that. We should, we should consider ourselves extremely lucky to actually start having this stuff uh, in the United States because it's like we now have several lines of jungle where it was 
kind of almost accepted knowledge in uh, the early 2000s when I was buying stuff that the animals that are here are what we have to deal with. We might get some stuff from Europe, but that's it. So the fact that these things actually have shown up in Europe and other places to allow us to have these different bloodlines and have outcrossing and breedings and things like that. I mean, a lot of people bailed out of granite IJ because they were pretty sure that we would, you know, that the, the gene was completely flawed and all it took was some outcrossing with wild caught animals to bring it back. So it's, it's really cool yeah. to have access to this stuff. And I would love for people to have more breedings with bread lie. I think they're awesome. So, and in one side, <laughs> yeah, they're they're another cool one, man. That's another no. another cool one that it's one of those things you don't realize how cool they are until you actually see them in person. Okay. And you know, uh, the more the closer they get to adults for me, the more cool. the cooler that they are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's no morph, no nothing, just a really cool, no. cool python. Um, and you got the two different lines there that you can pick. I'm partial to the blue and black one. So, yeah. Blue and black? What do you mean blue and Whatever, black? Whatever, the mog, mog line? Is that it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mean That's the ones that don't... Right. All right, yeah, yeah. Ones that don't... Yeah. Well, but... I, I think with those, there's uh, there's three... Well, okay, so there's the two lines, the two bloodlines. Mm-hmm. There's the mog mm-hmm. line and then the Schofield line. And mm-hmm. then um, Australian Addiction, Justin. Uh, yeah. And he, uh, he imported an animal... That was a male, I believe, that's un, uh, unrelated to either um, either uh, either line, and I believe he crossed that with a. Um, I can't remember which one he did, but he crossed that with one of the line. I want to say it was the Schofield ones, but he crossed them with them, and um, you know he kind of has his. I have all three, and I have one, and I have one male from um, from Australian Addiction, and uh, that I picked up at Carpet Fest, and I was really mm. surprised that more people didn't jump on that. But oh, oh well. I could yeah. tell you the latest developments of Carpet Fest. Continue. Go ahead. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it uh, it has a different look to it. Uh, than the other mm-hmm. ones, which uh, which is cool. So I don't know. Just uh, a lot of cool things that uh, can be done. Um, it's very cool. It just takes time, you know. So we'll see. Yeah. What's uh, interesting about Carpet Fest? Well, first off, it's become a seafood smorgasbord, apparently. Because I haven't okay. even started to get food lined up, but it's looking like we're not going to have to worry about entrees, like, at freaking all. So okay. because from what I've heard now is – uh, Howard Redding is bringing up Maryland crabs. Okay. Uh, Delicious. Mike Curtin. Mike Curtin is bringing clams from New Jersey. Delicious. So, and then um, Andy Simmons is bringing a lobster down from Massachusetts. Oh, good lord! <laughs> dear, dear, good googly moogly. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like, he's like, I hope we have something to cook it in. I'm like, I will find a pot. Don't you freaking worry. <laughs> I will work on this. So nice. it's like, holy crap. I'm like, well, there's food. I guess everybody else can bring side dishes and dessert. I mean, like, and booze. I mean, that's freaking awesome. And then uh, also for the reminder for everybody, I think it is you guys have two more days, or I think one more day 
to because uh, it ends uh, midnight the ninth to get your shirts for Carpet Fest. So you have tomorrow, and then that's it. So let me ask so, you: Are we past the point where they're going to do the shirts? Yes. Okay. Yeah. We are past so the, the point. People... Okay. Well, that's good. I, should, I, should I lie? This way you buy them all? Yes. No. No, Eric. We we need you to buy twenty shirts. How how short are we? Oh, no, we're 20. The, uh, like I think we're at 20. 35, 36. Chad Gray bought one today, and Jason Balin, even though he was grumbling about the color of the shirt, bought one yesterday. So no. um, <laughs> he didn't like the color. He said something about I don't know, it doesn't really fit. I'm like that's enough of you, and he bought it. So <laughs> you know, I listen, think you he just settle likes down. To grumble. Yeah, you listen, no. you person who. That's you know, it's been breeding many more other years than I. <laughs> <laughs> Smack me around a little bit, but anyway, but um, it, it, we're 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 pretty far off. But we we have a good chunk. We have about two hundred something dollars. I think it's closer to three hundred now at this point to uh, okay. donate to U.S. Arc. So I do. I'm gonna give a quick check on that. Um, but I will probably start getting that list together. And we had our first donation to the auction today uh, okay what was that yeah oh buddy Bishemi uh sent me a picture of this very gorgeous looking baby yellow chondro eating a mouse pinky and i said like that's cool and he goes well he's for the auction so it's a good thing that he's eating and i'm like oh <laughs> so he is a gorgeous little yellow neo so nice mm, i'd have to get the low down to that group but i think it's a good one a good clutch that he just hatched out so um yeah i'm eyeing up that one first i have to figure out which one i got anyway we have 36 shirts out of the 50 um uh shirts goal uh we have two okay. days to go which means it will shut down april 9th so i imagine uh i don't know when it'll be so it's a safe assumption that once the clock clicks over to april 9th you're done, and that's it. Uh, right. And we have a total of $216.72 to donate to U.S. Arc. Okay. Not what we were shooting for, but better than nothing. Not what we were shooting for, but better than nothing. And then you know what? The auction will bring in a little bit more, too. So I, if we can get close to five, I think we did a good job. Yeah. Which means yeah. Eric will have to donate... Uh, I'm just going to say he's going to put that Darwin albino male that he just bought. Um, oh, yeah, that's the, the other box. thing I got. That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about that in the box. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The albino yeah. Darwin. I was. <laughs> One of the cool things about that is, is that you can really tell the difference between an al... a Darwin albino and, and a, a cross albino. Yeah. Wow. For sure. Definitely. It's, it's funny because you and I have brothers now. Yeah, how about that? Uh, your, your boy is uh, Ghost's brother, so that's cool. So, cool. We'll see what um, you both can do. Yeah, and then, like I said, the head female is just insane. It's just nuts. Yeah, she's gorgeous. That was That's a pretty-looking animal, and that's just – that's pretty for Darwin's. I like – see, it's almost like I want to go – Seven, I, I have to find a pure Darwin head albino because right now the only thing I got for Ghost is a Jag head albino, which you know it's a fifty it's a fifty fifty IJ. I'm sorry, it's a IJ Jag cross with a Darwin, so it's uh, 
50 and then whatever. Anyway, um, I do want a pure Darwin albino, but I kind of want a het albino. This way I can still get just normal Darwins because I think they look cool. So Yeah. Yeah, I've got a nice little group of Darwins now I'm pretty happy with. I got mm. the uh, Terry Phillip stuff. Yeah. Um, Isn't that the mean one? Uh, they chill out. They chill out. Um, <laughs> they had one Darwin. Uh, like horrific. Yeah, they're they're pretty cool. Um, hopefully, I have my female will go next year, and um, mm. I'm going to breed her to the uh, hypoish looking. Nick was talking about the hypoish Darwin. Um, I have yeah. a male from that same uh, same group, so I'm going to try to to cross. Uh, those two and see what happens. Uh, so basically crossing those two bloodlines, um, <clears throat> which would be cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I see the uh, the Darwins as something that has a lot of potential and uh, makes me feel good about uh, just the carpet. Like I said, the carpet market in general, because I see just it, it reignites my passion i guess there it is. <laughs> when, like, I, when I see something like I'm that waiting for it <laughs> yeah so um and then i got something else but i'm not ready to talk about Good. that um, <laughs> yeah we'll keep that one uh, keep that quiet but uh it's pretty cool and that also uh makes makes people think well not makes people think uh, hopefully people can be happy to know that there's still stuff out there that um that people really don't know about so mm. that's cool and uh i would we would be remiss if we did not talk about real quick before we jump off um the article about uh gavin bedford um yeah producing owen pelly pythons which um, is awesome I think it was January 30th. He hatched mm -hmm. out the first. It says it was the first, but I thought that they were produced in captivity before. I might have got that wrong. I thought they were, but I thought it happened like years and years and years and years ago. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'll have to do a little more. Regardless. We'll check on this. Um, yeah. He, um, he did this thing where he went out into the, into the wild uh, grabbed a group of them, brought them back, and it's going to breed them. And mm -hmm. I guess it's a, a new way of thinking. I don't know. It makes sense to me. Eugene Bissett said it all the time. If you make something valuable, um, people will preserve it. If it's not valuable, they won't. So mm -hmm. what they're doing is, is that they're taking these and they're breeding them, and they hope to put them into the uh, pet trade, I guess, and then yeah. they're going to use that for more conservation. The cool thing is, is that people really don't know much about these um, these pythons. Uh, they really don't see wow. too many of them, and no. uh, you know, I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's one step closer to Australia actually exporting stuff. Uh, it's gorgeous, though. It's such a cool looking animal. Yeah. And you know the it's thing like, of it is, is that they change color. I know. Look at it from the like daytime freaking, to the nighttime. Yeah, you know, it's like a freaking Bowen's baby. It's got such a huge head. 
Yeah, they're like almost it. like a cross <laughs> between. I know that they've moved them out of. Well, depend yeah. on how you want to look at it. They moved them out of Morelia and kind of put yeah, them with Jim the scrubs Olivia. and the bones. Um, yeah, yeah. I, you know, who knows? Do you agree? Do you disagree? But to me, they look like a, a the step. You know how a rough scale is kind of like a chondro. To me, mm-hmm. they kind of look mm-hmm. like the step between Antaresia and, and carpets. And right. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like got like this, you know, they're super, it's super stepping thing. stone to something they, else. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but cool stuff nonetheless. Yeah. And uh, so, so maybe um, one day they'll be exporting all kinds of Australian stuff. Uh, I can see them not wanting nice. to import. But, but export. Uh, export seems. From, from licensed breeders? That would be awesome. I mean, Talking with Peter Birch at Tinley, he was telling me all kinds of stuff of uh, the rules and regulations that to deal with from state to state. So uh, be cool to see them loosen up like that, but I don't know. Kind of seems yeah. to be all over them like that. Which uh, we got to have Peter on to talk about that. I think that's really interesting stuff. So yeah, yeah some of their case requirements are ridiculous, but isn't that how it is? Mm-hmm. I, I think, think it's the same way in Europe. I think so. I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. But um, anyway, before we jump off, just you're not the only one who got a box today, you know. Yes. Just saying. I you know. know. <laughs> uh, I, so what did you get, Owen? <laughs> I jumped back into uh, um, ring pythons today. Very cool. I got a... Um, talking with Chad Gray who has everything and breeds everything. everything. And like you, you talk, we talk with him for 20 minutes and you realize that you have to be on his list for everything. So <laughs> he and I have been going back. He and I have been going back for us because um, a friend of his actually bought one of my Malukan pythons, uh, my scrubs, my boy place. Okay. He's now, and, I, and then he bought it and then Chad emailed me, he goes, I have a Malukan here. I'm like, how do you have it? And he goes, Oh, friend bought it reading it with my girl. I'm like, well, is it going? Well, he goes, I mean, they're in the cage together. I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, watch him breed that. And then I'll like, want to blow my head off. But anyway, <laughs> like, but it's like, he and I are talking back and forth and he starts talking to me about caramel stuff. And of course we start talking about other things. And long story short, we made a little bit of a swap and I got, um, a little baby girl captive born and bred ring python. And I'm like, I never, I, I totally forgot how cool these things were. And, you know, I loved the pair that I had. And I didn't have that pair for long. And this mm-hmm. is this is so they're so cool. I love these little things because they're it, it almost like when you were talking about stepping stones. How I look at the Dominican red mountain boa, and it's like uh, the ring python is the step between like something like the white lips and the mountain boa, where it's like got the same kind of face structure, kind of looks like a Dominican, but acts and feels more like a white lip. So it's like sweet. I love it. So, cool. Yeah. yeah. See, the so cool thing is, about... is that Good. the cool thing is, is that uh, you know I have all these carpet things, and then you have all these pythons. One day I decide. <laughs> <laughs> one day I decide that I want to, you know, a ring python or whatever. I can just say, Chuck it oh, by the way, yeah. um, remember That's you wanted big thing here, yeah, yeah. 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 But it, it, and it's just, it, and I, I think about it today, I'm like, well, 
cross off another python species that'll be really python radio table at one point or another where it's like right. you know if if we can get you me and matt minatola in a line i'm pretty sure we have them all covered to a certain degree or most of them so yeah except berms and rocks and no one cares about those <laughs> Indian pythons. Yep, and Shilanka, duns. I'll I'll get. Other duns. than that, Mark, you mark my words. I will get duns at some point. Yeah. I mean, I don't care that they're just a funny looking mac. I will get duns. They've eluded me for too long. By too long, I mean like three years ago when I learned of their existence. But you know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, we have the uh, we got the royal pythons all sewed up, so you don't have to worry I about getting those out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't have to thank worry about that. God. You know that I'm I'm glad you told me because I was actually just about to run out and buy like two hundred. So yeah, thank God you spoke up. Yeah, I don't care, man. It's still a python. They're still cool. <laughs> all you you do you you do you boo boo it's okay yeah (laughs) here's the thing though i don't even like you know what i mean like i'm like looking at this stuff and um the morphs are cool but you know the one that i really dig is just the regular looking ball python (laughs) it's just really yeah it's just a regular ball python it's a head but it's cool looking but anyway that's my favorite. <laughs> well, it's just, I don't know. It's just, I remember when I was a kid and that was just like this snake that was like Nostalgia. a... It's so, right. it's so weird that uh, that was a pinnacle species. But at the time, I didn't know anything about like carpet pythons or walma pythons or blackheads or... In my uh, day, we had a rock python and we were glad to have it. Yeah. It was berms and balls. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> You know? have none of these fancy dancy carpet morphs. <laughs> yeah, none of that stuff. Little did I know what would uh, what it would lead to, but but uh, yeah, cool stuff. Lots of cool things happening, and uh, you know, uh, projects going on, and yeah. for both me and you, and uh, that's a cool thing. Uh, so. You have to keep busy, so you know. Well, the next, of course, we have to, you know, keep having projects, keep doing stuff, keep muddling around with things i mean yeah. my dominican red mountain bow is a breeding i don't know why i keep doing this to myself <laughs> but we're gonna do that and then the amazon tree bow is a breeding and i got a clutch of carpet python so i'm not a boa breeder <laughs> oh there you go oh. cool <laughs> i'm safe it's okay so, um, yeah it's just it, it, it's these are the things that of course it's like talking with chad gray and it was like you he starts talking to me, he goes, well, how about a ring python? Because, you know, I heard they were on your list. I'm like, the problem is, dude, is that my list is way too freaking long because everything intrigues me. And I find every single kind of snake out there, for the most part, really interesting. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to fool around with that for a couple of months, a year, two, see if I can breed it. And then there are the ones that really just stick with me, and I really love them. And those are the ones that stick around and stay. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, I find that, uh, I don't know, for me, I find more and more 
you know, the more and more as my collection actually, when I say grow, I don't mean grow in size. I mean, grow in age. I find that oh. uh, carpet pythons are definitely uh, where it's at for me. I like these outlier yeah. species, but um, honestly, I don't see myself expanding too much into having like the Noah's Ark syndrome because I don't know. It's just so much there, I want to do with carpets. Yeah, and you can definitely get too far out there. I've seen that where people have yeah. like a crap ton of everything and nothing breeds or, you know, one or two things breed and you just sit on a bunch of different really cool animals or you have. The, I, I've been breaking cardinal rules recently, and the cardinal rule one is never buy lone animals. If you're going to right. move into a little side project, always get pairs. Otherwise, right. you're just going to be hunting down the other part of the pair for you know years on end. Um, luckily, I know enough people now, and I have enough connections that if I get a lone animal, it's only because I'm waiting for somebody I know to produce one to go with it. Like, right. Of course, this plan has been shot to pieces because everybody who I know has rough scales hasn't been producing them yet. So, <laughs> come on, guys. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, this year I'm pairing up my water python because I've been talking with a guy I know who got a bunch of eggs and got a bunch of babies and I'm waiting for a male to be ready. And I the only, way, the only reason I have one lone ring python right now is because I know that, you know, I can get a male later on from Chad and uh, I have connections for baby white lips that I'm going to be getting my uh, baby black face. So it's like, I can get these things. So where I see people go wrong is they go to a reptile show and something intrigues them and something looks flashy and something looks cool and something looks like I've never seen that before. So they buy it and then they run off with it and they're like, Oh, I'll find a female eventually. And then you never see it. You never see it. You never see it. And then the one time you do see at a reptile show, it's really not an animal you should be spending your money on. But right. because this is the first, I don't know, elephant trunk head for hippopotamus tree snake that you found that is a female, you buy it. And then you bring it home, right. and one or two of them roll on you, and then you're stuck with another one again, and you've got to try to find a replacement for it. So it's right. like... If this is something you really want to do, take the time, find somebody, buy a pair, then go off to the races. Yeah. Yeah, it uh, it really does make a difference. Uh, I, I don't know. That's kind of what got me out of, out of scrub pythons. Um, a couple reasons. One, I think they're beautiful animals. I really do. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, they're kind of kind of hard to beat when it comes to scalation and stuff like that. But uh, the whole wild caught thing and like trying to find a mate and, you know, all those type of things. It's like, Oh God, I don't know. Bullshit. Yeah. Like, I, I found a mate for it. That's not the right locality. It's like we, we had an Aru uh, male for the longest time. And right. it was like every Aru female I found was the wrong type. Because apparently there are two types of Aru, and I couldn't tell the difference. And so I just kept finding the wrong type. And it's like, I quit. Right. I quit. Freaking quit. Yeah. So I got so. pretty, I got pretty, pretty good with like, you know, looking at localities and seeing the difference. But the problem is, it's like trying to find, find the localities, yeah. you know, and yeah. then 
And then on top of that, you know, you're dealing with animals that are wild caught and, uh, you know, for the most Not part. Happy. Yeah. For the most part, that is what you deal with. I yeah. Mean, and I, I don't know. Pissed off wild caughts that are potentially bring stuff in. It, it, no. Yeah, no, and it's no, kind of no. like, you know, my my collection is not really geared towards that. I don't really have, a, like, a separate room or something like that. And no. I just feel like when you have that type of thing, and as cool as you they are, and as much as I would love to be the guy that breeds this or breeds that and have that, I, I don't know if you want to say it's, you know, notoriety or whatever, I, I don't know, man. It's not, to me, it's not about that. And I would be doing the animals a disservice by you know, by doing that. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I, I find them fascinating. I love hearing about them. Um, usually when I talk to people that have them, it makes me say, you know, you get that feeling of, oh man, I really should probably work with this, you know, because this is so cool. But, you know, you kind of have to stay focused uh, on what you're doing. Um, no, see, I, to I'll me, you visit the Malukans every once in a while when you feel scrub lonely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and even with that, like I made sure that the, the, the ones that I did have and then I did, you know, move, move, I moved to people that I know that way, mm. if something ever does come about it or, you know, if it does ever breed and, you know, that kind of thing, yeah, then I can just come and buy babies from you, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty sure, but, I'm pretty sure if either of us ever were producing the other wanted to be mass trading back and forth. So, yeah. 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 Like to me, I find, I know this is going to be crazy, but mm. I find for me personally, I think that Angolans pythons are much cooler for me than when I was working with, uh, you know, some of the scrubs that I was working with, you know, yeah, I, I it, it almost becomes like, it almost becomes like, are you doing it because you really dig the species or are you doing it because you think that, you know, you have to do this. Because it's the next step right. in Morelia or something like that. Right. Exactly. There, you know, and it's like, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. Morelia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you dig it, dig it. Go ahead. If you're not that into it, you're not that into it. It's fine. It's like I'm sitting here and it's like I have olives, waters, Cebu, and I, I, I keep joking about duns. But, of course, there are people who are like, well, there's Northern Territory waters. So I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like they're not – I have water pythons. They're water pythons. I have my water pythons. I'm good with that. I don't want the smaller versions of the water pythons just because I need somewhere, somewhere – like someone somewhere needs all the types of liasses. You know, I don't right. need all the types of liasses. I might get pop ones because Casper will not shut up, shut up about them. So it's like um, – <laughs> Maybe, but it's not high on my list. So I don't necessarily have to do it. And then it's all the whole thing of, am I getting it because I really dig it? Or am I getting it because, you know, must finish liasses for future generations? I don't know. Like, why? So Right. Yeah. Like, do you really need... Are you getting? Well, yeah, exactly. You know, I, I guess. I guess myself, personally, I probably would be guilty... When I was getting into Morelia, it's like, okay, yeah, I really like these carpets. But, uh, yeah, these scrubs are cool. And they are cool, man. They are, you mm-hmm. know, but that's a that's a big commitment when you have that kind of animal. Yeah. They are a completely different snake. They're a completely different set of rules, 
uh, market um, danger. I mean, like yeah. you know, you're you're dealing with uh, animals that you you know you can't buy at a reptile show from everybody, and there aren't that many breeders out there anymore who just specialize mainly in scrub. I think there's maybe like two, and so they they don't produce a lot sometimes. So you kind of got to be on the cusp of that. You got to be willing to spend the money. There, you can't feed them the same way you feed uh, carbon pythons. They got to grow to stay lean, but have that nice muscled head. You're looking at a adult animal that has like a six foot strike range and will aim for your face. So yeah. it's it's one of those things that you don't take lightly. And I, I am always afraid of people who t- do take it too lightly because. You know, I've been on the receiving end of some of these things. Um, and and uh, it's one of those things where every once in a while you have a day that reminds you what the hell you're dealing with. Um, two days ago, uh, one of the white-lipped python females, when I was packing her up, actually uh, let go one of my big gold females. She bit mm-hmm. me through my jeans on my thigh. And I'm like, through the jeans? Wow. What the hell? <laughs> so, you know... I'm like, and on my thigh, that's a freaking new one. So it's one of those things that, you know, every once in a while it reminds you that you pay attention, Owen. So, Right. Yeah, yeah I, I still have one female left, and uh, I'll probably mm-hmm. keep, keep one female bar neck, and I'll probably keep her, you know, because you don't have to breed everything, too. That's the other thing. No, I mean, you not everything you have to, to, to breed, you know. I mean, I have a male mm-hmm. blackhead. I don't ever plan... Well, I'm really getting into breeding blackheads, but that blackhead is cool, you know. It's yeah. just cool. I could see myself getting in more into like Antaresia, you know. I could see yeah. uh, you know, that kind was, of thing. Uh, did, but, was it Aussie that had the clutch of pygmy pythons? For sure. Already? Uh, yeah, I think he. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Who doesn't like pygmies? <laughs> yeah, pygmies are no. cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're small. They're more manageable. I don't know. I, it's just there's a whole lot of stuff out there to work with. And I there guess are, the moral of this whole talk is you just you do what I mean. At the end of the day, you're cleaning up snake shit, and you got to clean up the snake it. shit that makes you happy. Yeah. You know, as much as I'm not a chondro freak, I love going to Buddy's place and I love looking at his chondros. And you know, I get excited because he's excited about, you know. Um, what he's working with and, and, and I can appreciate what he's, uh, you know, what he's done with, you know, the breedings yeah. that he's done and, you know, his knowledge of keeping them and breeding them and, you know, and, and, and enough so that, yeah, you know what, I do want to, uh, keep chondros, but I don't ever see myself getting 30 chondros. You know what I mean? I, it's yeah, just, a, yeah. It's, the and vice versa. Yeah. yeah, he's not going to have, uh, oh. you know, tons of carpet pythons. <laughs> did, I, <laughs> you know, did, did, I, did I tell you what he did? No. Um, he calls me the day after he listens to the Greg show. And it it happened to be, uh, he, I'm sorry, he listens to the Greg Helm show. And then he calls me after he listens to the post-Tinley show. And he's like, you got diamond pythons? And I'm like, yeah, I got a pair of diamond pythons. He goes, I've been in love with diamond pythons for years, but I was told I could never keep them in my chondro habitat. I'm like, what? Your snake room's colder than mine. You're fine. (laughs) Really? I'm like, yeah, you'll be fine. He goes, are you sure? I'm like, yes, you'll be okay. 
he texts me today a picture of this diamond python laying in one of his bins, and he goes, "This arrived today," and I'm like, "Yes, I'm not the nice. only caves." <laughs> so it was, it was really cool to see, like all of a sudden, buddies like out of the woodwork, like excited about something that isn't a chondro, and it's like, oh sweet, you know, diamond python. Oh. Like, it, it, it's like I, I didn't know that he had this other thing kind of hanging out there that was really something he really was kind of yearning for so it was yeah cool. but if you if if you if you talk to buddy you first of all yeah. we know from having buddy on the show that he's kept multiple species on you know uh yeah. whole whole yeah. bunch of different kind of pythons and, my my bar scrubs are from him so right yeah so he has a vast knowledge when it comes to keeping just reptiles in general um mm -hmm. but um you can see, I don't know if, it, I don't know. I pick up on it. Like when he talks about like when he used to breed this or when he used to breed that, you know, he gets kind of like this little like gleam in his eye about, you know, <laughs> uh, it'd be cool to keep them again, you know, and, yeah. and it comes down to limited space, limited time and that kind of thing. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta keep what you really, really kind of enjoy, you know, and, and really kind of, for Christ's sake, I keep Okiti corn snakes, you know? I got a yes, pair of that. Just, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's taking up a bin, I, but I, I, I look at it. It's just corn like, snake last week. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. But I'll tell you what, man. They are cool as shit because every time it sheds, that orange comes through. It's really nice. But anyway, that's... uh. I get excited about that. Diamond pythons, you know, Casper's probably going to punch me in the head the next time he sees me when I say this. But I really wanted Boland's pythons mm. until I had mm -hmm. diamonds. Uh, diamond and then when I got diamonds, it's three. like, eh, you know, like, really? Do I? Again, beautiful snake. I think that if I had unlimited resources and unlimited space and time and all that kind of stuff, then yeah, you probably get them both. Probably yeah. keep, I would keep them. Yeah. But to me, um, diamond pythons are just as cool. I, yeah, I mean, I you love agree? mine, and they're just—I <laughs> totally agree. I love mine. Yeah. They're so chill. They're so cool, and I—I I can't wait for them to get bigger. I really can't because right now they look like little black speckled carpet pythons like you know they there's nothing really they, they look gorgeous but there's nothing really they're not bam diamond python yet and i imagine right. just like every single carpet python after a year or so they're gonna grow oh, wow. and they're gonna stretch out and they're gonna get that little gaps in their scales a little bit everything's gonna kind of get organized and spread out a little bit and there will be a moment where I'll open up a 32-quart tub where these two little guys will be, and I'm just going to be blown freaking away. And yeah. it's like waiting for this. is it, It's almost like it's so it, – it, it, doing new things. And, and I know people sometimes tell me I'm a little bit of a scatterbrain and I jump around from different things to different that. But doing new projects, getting new things, jumping into new animals that are similar to what you have but are a little bit different or even just completely different just rejuvenates you into this hobby and gets you more, gets you excited back into it, gets you wanting back into it, especially something that you've been thinking about, but not sure if you can get it or if it's been, or it's that one animal that you've been hunting for for years. It's like, 
boom. It's almost like I, it's almost like I talk to people who were like, oh, I don't buy any more snakes. It's I had my like eight pairs and. I'm good now for the rest of my life. It's like you, you don't want anything else. It's like you don't want to you don't want to experience some new stuff. You don't want to check some new stuff out. It's like it, it's like you know you're at a buffet and you're picking around the salad bar. What are you doing? So it's like you know it's it, it is so much fun to have these experiences and have these moments where you can watch brand new animals in your collection. Kind of just you can take them through. And I'll be even more psyched. It's almost like you followed the whole way. From baby yeah. to yearling to now you're producing it, and then you want to see the little baby heads pop out of the freaking eggs and do the whole thing over again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool, cool stuff for sure. So diamond pythons Definitely. are one of those uh, one of those animals that, <laughs> that I looked at in a book a long time ago and thought, you know, wow, it would be cool to have them, <clears throat> and yeah. now I have them. You know, and you're right. Each each shed is, um, you know, they get better and better, and you get that yeah. tipping that comes that like the the white that comes. Oh man, it's just nuts! Very very cool species, uh, no doubt. Um, and it's so I, I think, I, I you know I've said this a thousand times, but I think probably the coolest thing about and, and what kind of keeps me in the carpet python world and why I really never have a need to venture out of it. Is because if you look at a Darwin and then you look at a diamond, they couldn't be any more different, you know? And then you yeah. look at an inland and then that's totally different. And then you look at a brittle eye and that's totally different, you know? Yeah. So uh, it, it just keeps me content. Like no, other, no other species really has all these different variations and spreading across and you can do so many things and so many projects. You want to specialize in a certain type, you can go ahead and do it. But yeah. then you can also appreciate this. If you want to be one of those guys like us who just has everything, um, you can do that yeah. too. So it's yeah. like, and you can, and you can do that while still staying completely in Morelia. So it's, it's really cool. Um, I just, for one, keep getting sucked into other species and I can, I can peg it all the way back to when I was ripped out of Morelli and went, you know, sideways into other species. It's when this guy I know showed up at my house with a Maclots python. So <laughs> they're cool. They're, that's, that's another one, man. They're so cool that when I gave you that one, that mm -hmm. I had to have them again. You know, when you bought like pair, yeah. water pythons, <laughs> olive pythons. Yeah, they're cool, you know, and I can very much appreciate them. And, uh, you know, to me, it's it's one of those things that I think it, when you have it in your hand, then you have a whole, well, picking up a water python may be a, a whole different story. But, Dear um, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think the uh, there's just something for me about Maclots pythons and, and probably nobody cares or whatever, but they're very similar to carpets. You can keep them the same. You can keep them in the same mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And like the one that I got from Ryan, you know, I got a pair from Ryan Young because I just had to have them again. And I thought you were going to breed them, but uh, it didn't work I'm out that way. I'm working on it. <laughs> so I went and got them. But, you know, the ones that he picked out for me, I have this one. It's like I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's got like, this gold down the thing, and it's almost like it's yeah. got a bald back. And uh, it's just yeah. wild. It's really a cool, cool-looking snake. And and one of the – I think one of the things that I fall – fall to and i think this is probably what a lot of people do is that um 
you know, you see the, um, you see the baby and mm-hmm. maybe, uh, you know, a juvenile, but when you see the adult, that's a whole nother, that's a whole they, other thing. They do, they do changes. I mean, to be honest, uh, glitch does not look like, look the same of when you drop them off at all. And no. every single Maclots I, I've noticed, they vary from individual to individual to the amount of, uh, colored scales, like the green color scales that they have on them, to the uh-huh. gray scales that they have on them, to the shades right. of green, the shades of gray. It's like I have three Maclots right now with me. Um, and I got Glitch, and I got Pixel, which are my two, and then I have a lone female, the female that's on loan, who might be gravid. I'm hoping to God. But <laughs> all three of them look drastically different. To where the point yeah. where if I laid them all next to each other, you could point out who's who. Right. Easily, not even thinking about it. And it's like, I think a lot of people fall into the trap of they will all look the same. It's like, they're not, they're not like other animals. Each one is drastically different. So it's not yeah. like, you're not going into the whole, like, you know, uh, an albino ball is an albino ball is an albino ball. These things all look different. Same thing goes with, um, people kind of get into the whole, like, you know, it'll turn out to be a black snake. And it's like, yeah, but, while he's changing, that's the coolest part. Because <laughs> when you get them, they're orange. So it's like I'm watching yeah. my little babies grow, and I'm like, I kind of don't want them to keep going because it's like, all right, now stop. Because this is like the coolest combination of black and orange scales, and you look freaking awesome. Don't don't grow anymore. Don't change color anymore. Just stay put. But of course, right. they're going to keep growing and keep going. But they, they're still gorgeous animals when they're done going. So it's you know, it's it's other cool stuff like that. I will yeah. show anybody who comes to Carpet Fest the whole spectrum. Biasis, um, we'll go into Leo Python. Um, I'll let you poke the blackface white lips if you want to. Um, just do so at own risk. So. Yeah, yeah, like white lips to me. I mean, mm. you know, I get it. I understand it. They're really cool. But um, I don't know if if that's the you know the right right fit for 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 me. You know what I mean? But like I, when I see when I see you talking about them, it's like you know white lips, white lips, and it's like oh man, he's really jazzed about white lips, and it makes me think yeah. wow, it makes me just appreciate them, you know. But but I think I don't know. I guess in a nutshell, the reptile world just in general would be a really cool spot if people just did what they like to do and <laughs> not worried about what other people like, like, you know, cause I have some ball pythons. I don't really give a shit. If <laughs> People think, you know, <laughs> like, I don't care, man. I really don't. I could care two shits less. Like it's, it's still a Python. Um, you know, I get the, it's, it's not the, it's not the snake that the, is the problem. It's the freaking, yeah, no. you know, and yeah. then I, I I don't know. To me, I'm not going to not keep it because I think that somebody's not going to be a friend to me on Facebook. You know what I mean? Like, uh, look at him <laughs> oh, selling no. out. You know? Yeah, oh, go screw no. yourself. I lost man. My <laughs> you know what I, I mean? Surely I will die. It's like, you know, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't, I wouldn't even concern and, myself with that. Yeah, I understand. There's gonna be there's gonna be some ball busting, and I get that. You know oh, what yeah, I mean? You, oh dear lord! I will. <laughs> I've, I've been relentless. <laughs> that's cool. 
You know what I mean? Because I understand that's just ball busting. That is what it is. But like yeah. to really like if you I guess what I'm saying is like if you keep carpet pythons or let, let's say you keep chondros, you know, and you're like uh, you want to go keep some ball pythons because you think that a ball python is cool. Then, you know, freaking even, man. even in other things, I mean, like maybe you just want maybe your kids just want a pet and you're like, well, a chondro might not do well living in their bedroom. So, you know, right. I'll grab this or, you know, it just seems how it goes. Yeah. You don't have to be, you don't have to be a jerk about it. I just like to I think, balls. So. Yeah. I think, I think the thing of it is, is that when you got money and money's involved, I think people, people get messed up and that's really what's worse. You know, of course it doesn't, people get doesn't messed matter. Up money involved. What what species it is? It just it is. If that's what's happening, then this is how it's going to go down. So, you know, yeah. cool stuff nonetheless. So, and how can you forget? I mean, to me, uh, a lot of my probably the only thing that's is of equal to me as far as carpet pythons go are short tails. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's probably uh, yeah. the only thing that is a equal. Like to me. Like, it's funny because now Matt, he's like chondro crazy. And I kind of like, I'm like, yeah, I I keep a few. Uh, To me personally, I like to just work with a couple locality type stuff. And that's pretty much it. And I can appreciate the beauty. And I'm telling you what, man, you go to a show and there's nothing cooler than seeing like a blue my face chondro. And you're like, wow, shit, that's so cool. Yeah, you stick an adult. You stick an adult high yellow or adult blue phase mite on like a in a display cage at a show like Hamburg, guarantee you yeah. you'll be the talk of the show. Like I don't think you weren't you weren't at the last Hamburg show, were you? No. No, I brought a Malukan I bought an adult Malukan and an adult black face white lip. And you better believe there were a lot of pictures taken of the two of them. So yeah. and it's like the whole like exactly what the hell is this? So Yeah. But followed uh, by a ton of lowball offers, but <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. Hamburg for you. But I don't, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. You know, for me, it's like you know that whole big snake thing and the variety mm-hmm. and the color palette and the patterns mm-hmm. and like I think maybe that's the thing that uh, I miss when I have conjures is the pattern. You know what I mean? There's yeah. none of that pattern that happens with like a carpet or a blood. Uh, they are drastically different. Really. Yeah, which is really like like why I would like my you know like one of my favorite species is Burmese pythons. You know, you look mm-hmm. at the pattern and the colors and the palettes and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, that's that's that. That's our uh, Python speech for the night. Um, yep. <laughs> and we'll uh, I don't know if there's anything. Did you get anything else in that box? Just ring pythons? No, just the ring. Okay. Just the ring python. Yep. Okay. And uh, the promise of future, uh, future thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I did. I did along with my box of goodies. I also got a real uh-huh. cool inland reptile shirt. Oh my god, they're t-shirts now. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty neat. So, well, if you come to Hamburg, Eric, you can get a rogue one too. Oh one. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, mm. I will be coming to Hamburg. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So high end. 
Yeah. I might crash at your house the night before. <laughs> no, just That's cool. I'm putting you to work. Oh, awesome. You can definitely come. <laughs> You're in. Uh, mm -hmm. All right. So, um, yeah, let's wrap this up and get out and yep. uh, get the show on the road. I believe next week we have uh, Tim Tyndall is going to be coming on, and we're going to be talking oh, yeah. about uh, inland carpet pythons. Oh, shit. Uh, so that's the problem. Be... I might end up buying inland. Right. <laughs> should be a cool show. Um, for sure. And then uh, I'm in the in the process of uh, working on getting a vet. Uh, I'm actually talking to somebody at the moment. So things are looking good as far as that goes. Uh, so we're probably going to have a vet on. I'm thinking maybe once a quarter to come on and like, you know, talk about various, uh, you know, stuff, health issues and thingies. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of more. Uh, what would you call it? More uh, sophisticated uh, type topics that keepers uh, and breeders would and run it, into. And it would be very cool to try to kind of, you know, maybe even do away with some of the home remedies that are out there that maybe yeah. a doctor might not, might tell you to not do. Like yeah. it, it, it'd be great if you could tell us like what is a good idea and what is not. Yeah. On so. as, as far as, uh, I hope that somebody can actually explain what's going on that way. Then you can. That'd be uh, nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like if you know what's going on in your body, then you kind of can make decisions on what's the right thing to do, you know? And a lot of times that should mean go to a vet, <laughs> but. I do love how the, um, every once in a while you get the dude on like, with the pick of the week or something like that, where it's like, please help. My snake is breathing with its mouth wide open and is, you know, laying there twitching. And it's like, why are you here? <laughs> Go to the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> what should I do? Not talk to us. Anyway, so that would be <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, that, that's in the works. So that should probably be happening real soon in the, uh, in the near future so uh for, let's see for the website uh check out our website moreliapythonradio.com if you want to email us you can send uh any questions comments uh to info at moreliapythonradio.com uh the show you can download it for free on itunes um and you can find the uh page um the blog talk page at moreliapythonradio slash blog talk or no, blog talk radio slash moreliapythonradio.com. Um, okay. Don't forget Carpet Fest. There's now three, possibly four Carpet Fest um, in the works. Um, but the one that we're going to focus on at the moment is the Northeast Carpet Fest. Uh, the, the original chapter. That's the original chapter. Right. <laughs> original. We can get biker uniforms. Anyway. That's right. Uh, May 30th uh, in Birdsboro, PA, uh, be making uh, arrangements. We're going to be doing a big push for that uh, since we're pretty much about a month, a month and a half, two months away. Um, so uh, I guess it's two months. Sorry. Um, you know, for more details, you can follow uh, carpetfest.homestead.com. Uh, check out the, if you like the Carpet Fest 
Facebook page. You can get updates there. And we're also on Twitter at CarpetFest. Uh, right. And, and also for Ray. Sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead. CarpetFest announcements. CarpetFest announcements. We'll probably, we're also going to throw them up on the pick of the week as well. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I forgot to throw in um, Facebook for Morelia Python Radio, like our page, Morelia Python Radio, and you can follow us on Twitter at Morelia Python. Uh, as for myself, E.B. Morelia, uh, my website's ebmorelia.com. If you want to get in contact with me, it's eric at ebmorelia.com. Um I don't know. I have a newsletter you can subscribe to. Uh, I got uh, clutches in the incubator, uh, and I'm about to put the 2014 uh, babies up for sale. Um, so be looking for that. Um, and that's all I got. Go ahead, Owen. Cool. Oh, we got you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. You can contact us through there. You can check out the babies for sale, even though it's hideously out of date. <laughs> um, you can also go and like uh, Rogue Reptiles at Facebook.com. Uh, all the latest happenings of Rogue will be there, as well as the babies that will be up for, put up for sale on the website first and Facebook a little bit before they are released to the general public. So you kind of get a little bit of a thing if you're a fan. Uh, first pick almost. Uh, I have one last Super Kamala Jag for 2014. So he's it. He's There's no one else. Not Nothing else. He's the last one. And he's not that bad looking. So um, not at all. So if you're interested in a Super Kamala Jag, you better strike now while the iron's hot because I don't think he's going to last much longer because he's getting big. Everything else, we have a few more babies left over from last year. Caramels, Brettles, Tigers, Jags. And, of course, the Dominican Red Mountain Boa. The next uh, show we have is April 25th in Hamburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, if you have any animals you want us to bring there, give us a call. Let us know. You can reserve it. You can pay for it. We do free delivery to any show we participate. And, yeah, fun stuff. So, for 2015, uh, stay tuned. I'll let you guys know when we get eggs as well as clutches that come out. All right? Um that's all I got. So what we will say is thank you for listening, and we will catch everybody here next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night. <laughs>